This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, folks? My Take Radio episode 87 for Thursday, April 14th, 2011. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter 2, Frets of Fury, and the artist was Vertex Guy. You can download that and any of the other previously used intro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number is 347-324-3541. All right, let's get some housekeeping out of the way first. Uh, a couple of things are going on this week. Uh, if you've been to MyTakeRadio.com, you'll see that there has been um, a new Archer post, actually two new Archer posts from Slick, as well as a soapbox from Mist regarding the comparisons between NXT and FCW. There was also an MTR Rewind focusing on last week's episode with Bloodstain Lane, and you can check that out as well on MyTakeRadio.com. Our forums have been seeing a decent spike in traffic. I also got the opportunity to purge a couple of bogus accounts that were there. Spammers like to sneak in and set up their accounts and tell people about how to lose weight fast and all this other bullshit. Their asses got deleted. Forums are nice and clean now. If you haven't stopped in there, you should. It's mytakeradio.com slash forums. Our content partners, as always, this week in wrestling podcast and MMA Valor will be, as usual, providing content for mytakeradio.com within, within the coming days. I know that Verk is probably going to have a lot to say regarding what's going on in the WWE currently, and I know Josh from MMA Valor always has some kick-ass content to send our way, so be on the lookout for that stuff as well. Next up, our apps, if you haven't had the opportunity, I recommend you check them out. You can purchase apps for My Take Radio from the iTunes and Android marketplaces for $1.99. It's cheaper than a latte. It gives you access to MTR content, including past shows and new shows once they get edited and uploaded, as well as exclusive content, such as the Minority Film Report, which Slick has been doing a great job of managing, uh, next up, he will be doing Bitch Slap, which will be, I believe, this Saturday. So keep an eye out for that on the My Take Radio fan page. You can watch Bitch Slap with Slick and, of course, interact with him in the My Take Radio chat room, which is on the forums. You can also access that chat from the Wibia bar. Oh, that was my phone going off. That's nice. You can access that from the Wibia bar on MyTakeRadio.com as well. By the way, if you haven't noticed, the bar on the bottom, which is the Wibia bar, has a button to donate to Japan. Uh, definitely, if you have a couple of bucks to spare, donate to a good cause. The link takes you directly to the Donate Japan website sponsored by the Red Cross. It will allow you to send money to, towards assisting in relief efforts in Japan. 
if you're a gamer, you know that Japan has a huge influence on gaming. Same for anime fans and mixed martial arts fans. Do your part. Every little bit helps. Uh, help the Japanese people get back on their feet so they can continue providing us with great products and also great mixed martial arts events. So definitely, if you haven't, check out the Wibia bar on the bottom of MyTakeRadio.com for donating to Japan. Uh, the T-shirts are in the redesigned process. The MyTakeRadio shop should be back online within the next week or so with a whole bunch of new designs, courtesy of a couple of familiar friends that we that you may know. I will be making formal announcements in the coming weeks. You're going to start seeing some really great designs from a lot of great people, and they will be assisting in getting MTR heard and also getting their designs seen. So keep an eye out for that as well. All right. This week's topics, we're going to discuss Monday Night Raw. We're going to discuss the end of the Rated R era, which is, uh, of course, no surprise, the retirement of WWE superstar Edge. Definitely want to share my thoughts on that and go into that a little bit. Um, gaming news as usual. Movie news will also be discussed. My guest will be Strikeforce, well, Strikeforce superstar and actor Kung Lee. He will be joining us. Um, Kung Lee fought recently, well, not too long ago against Scott Smith uh, in a really great bout. He avenged the only loss on his record from Scott Smith. Uh, looking forward to discussing his views on the Strike Force acquisition by Zufa, also what he's doing in regards to upcoming fights, and also I have a ton of questions in regards to some of the roles he's been taking as an actor, including his roles in Pandorum. Uh, he was also in Fighting with Channing Tatum. He is also in the Tekken movie. He played Martial Law, and he will also be in the upcoming Master of the Golden Fist, which is being written by Eli Roth and the RZA directed by RZA from Wu-Tang Clan. I have a ton of questions. As a martial artist and a fan of the Shaw Brothers style of kung fu movies, I definitely want to know if he can divulge a little bit of information in regards to that. If you want more information about that film, check IMDb. It gives a little bit of a blurb regarding it, but also tells you some of the other cast members that are in there, including Dave Bautista, Lucy Liu, and a ton of other great actors and actresses. So I'm hoping that Kung Lee will be able to share what's going on with that project, so keep an eye out for that. He will be joining us at 1130. Um, I started adding, I guess you could call it my opening monologue to, to every My Take Radio, just random things I come across that don't really cover every topic but need to be discussed. Uh, this week, a couple of things happened in the news and, and a few things I noticed online that I do want to discuss. One particular thing is... Uh, Kotaku, of course, is a, is a huge gaming site, huge gaming blog. Uh, they're right up there with, you know, Gamasutra, uh, GameSpot, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, IGN, in terms of providing great content. One thing I've noticed, especially in the last couple of months, I know there are huge lulls in video gaming, in video game news, and in, and in things going on in the world of gaming. The lulls aren't huge, but they're definitely noticeable. Not that many great titles out blah, 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 blah. But one thing that tends to bother me is when they decide to venture into realms of completely mindless fuckery. And that's the word that applies this week, fuckery. Primarily because I saw an article on Kotaku basically about, um, of course, many of you know that they're doing Street Fighter X Tekken, which I've been meaning to do a post about, but I've been working on my computer, but that's a whole other situation. 
Uh, Street Fighter X Tekken is going to be released, and one of the writers from Kotaku got the opportunity to get a little bit of hands-on time with the game and to get to see the game coming together. And they actually took the time to write a post about why Chun-Li's thighs from Street Fighter have gotten bigger in each consecutive game and and how they come up with the body-to-thigh ratio in, in regards to her design, especially when they were referencing a poster for the Street Fighter X Tekken series. Not only that, but they actually went into great detail in doing a comparison from each game on how her thigh size has increased. I'll tell you why this bothered me. I frankly don't give a shit that they wrote the article, but the fact that they went out of their way to cite resources and and information and show visual examples for something that nobody really gives a shit about. One of the big stigmas that haunts and, and, and and hangs over the head of male gamers especially is that we're nerds that don't get pussy. We don't know how to appreciate the female form correctly. We don't know how to appreciate women for being women, and we tend to objectify them. I don't believe that shit for a minute. I know plenty of guys in the gaming community that are just regular Joes like the rest of us, and their views are their views. We Men are men, don't get me wrong. We, we do say some foul shit, and we do acknowledge women a little a little crassly at times, but the fact that you would go out of your way to write a complete article about this boggles my fucking mind. How about just writing about the game that's going to be released? You really have to go out of your way to write an article about this bullshit. And it, and, and it just it, it depressed me, not because of the content, but just because it was something that was deemed worthy of being posted on such a major site. Like, that's a forum post. That's something that I can post in our forums and say, hey, man, is it me or have chun guys' size gotten remarkably huge? And I'm sure 15 or 20 people in the forums would have some, some, some apropos rude remarks to go with it, and it is what it is. That's fine. But I just feel that that didn't deserve a full fucking post. It didn't. I was, I was horrified at seeing that especially from a major site. I can understand, like I said, in a forum where, where tons of shit like that happens every day. And, of course, with that article went the plethora of commentary from the readers of the site. Oh, you know, she's so hot, blah, blah, blah. Really, guys? It's an animated, it's an animated character. It's a video game girl. Get the fuck over yourselves. It's, it, it just disgusted me only because, like I said... There's such great content out there that can be discussed that this is what you dedicate your time to. The other thing I wanted to discuss is the just the continuing pussification of America. Uh, one particular thing that happened this week was the Kobe Bryant situation where he called the referee a fag. Now, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because there's been – Hours and hours of radio, TV, and print dedicated to this event. Kobe Bryant got fined $100,000. And it, it was a debate about whether words like that hurt and whether it was worth, you know, fining him $100,000 and was, that ga- was anything gained from it as opposed to, you know, raising awareness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
I just wanted to give my, my brief opinion on it. I feel that there's a ton of shit going on in the world right now that we spend way too much time worrying about who says what instead of focusing on shit that's going on in our backyard. We're worried about Kobe Bryant saying fag, what can we, as opposed to worrying about the fact that there are no jobs, we got no money, I don't know, things of value. No, we're going we're gonna to complain and bitch about this. Not to say that he shouldn't have been punished or spoken to, but just the fact that the press just blew this out of proportion to an extent where it takes up three or four hours of television viewing when you're just trying to watch the weather. For, for God's sakes, I don't know. It just, it just struck a nerve for me because I just feel that we become soft as a society. You know, when I was a kid, you'd go outside, you'd roll in the dirt, your parents would send you outside. You didn't worry about your kid getting kidnapped back then. Kids were a lot smarter. I mean, it did happen, but children were, were more evolved. Shit went down a little bit differently than it does now. It almost feels like now no kid knows how to take a comment. No adult knows how to take a comment. We've just become soft. You know, you, you'd be a kid, you'd cut yourself on the knee, you, you'd put mud on it to, hold, to stop the bleeding. Oh, no, not now. Now you've got to get a tetanus shot, put in an air bubble. You've got to make sure that they spray you down before you come into your house. 17 bottles of sanitizer. It's, I don't know. I just feel that the, that the underbelly of our country has become increasingly soft. And I think that at this rate, we, we're just going to keep getting softer. Again, just something I had to throw out there and, and discuss and share my views with you guys. It's, it's sad. It's a really sad shit. All right. Let's talk some MMA because there's a lot to discuss, and I'm going to try and get most of it out of the way uh, before Kung Lee comes to join us. Uh, like I said, I think we're going to try and hit most of the MMA stuff this week. Uh, there's going to be some stuff that's going to fall through the cracks, but like I said, I want to definitely focus my attention on the interview at hand. So like some things like any other time we have a guest will fall through the cracks. So if you are tuning in for certain segments and they don't get aired or, or things don't go according to plan, just note that when we have guests, all bets are off. Let's talk some MMA. There's a few things in MMA that are going to need to be discussed this week. One thing in particular was the Strike Force event from this past weekend with Nick Diaz and Paul Daly as the main event. I'm going to get into that a little bit when Kung Lee comes on, so don't think that I'm not going to cover it. It's definitely on the agenda. Let's just get into the regular MMA news first. Scott Coker has been in the news a lot lately, especially in terms of defending the Strike Force brand now that they've been acquired by Zufa. Of course, the big phrase that's being tossed around is a lot of business as usual. Of course, with the Strike Force event, certain things were not business as usual. Uh, as such, there were a lot of articles this week, especially one very big article from a, two larger MMA sites regarding press credentials for you know smaller sites to cover Strike Force events. That went out the fucking window and certain people that were regulars for Strike Force events got their press credentials denied. Now, again, 
these are changes that I, I, I myself saw coming only because MMA needs to be covered. And I, and I agree, it needs to be covered by a multitude of people because different people have different spins on it. I do not like the fact that sites and, and media outlets that have gone before to these events got denied only because MMA is in a, in a, in a not infancy stage, but definitely in almost a, a toddler learning to walk phase where the more coverage it gets, the better, especially when it's positive coverage. I've seen a lot of great and talented writers and bloggers that dedicate their every breathing moment to covering mixed martial arts and delivering the best news to audiences out there and also allowing people the opportunity to think and express their views on mixed martial arts differently. In, in stifling those voices, at least in my eyes, I feel that the the UFC is doing a disservice only because there's so many sites that have grown leaps and bounds and have, and have expanded and given MMA a, a solid presence, and all of a sudden they're not, they're not allowed to cover these events either because of a personal beef with Dana White or because of a bias from the organization or because they don't feel that they're uh, written about favorably. I feel it's complete bullshit. I think that members of the press, especially solid members of the press, should be allowed the opportunity to cover these events and allow mixed martial arts to be consumed not only from mainstream outlets but also from smaller from smaller writers and smaller sites that can give a more personal touch. So definitely bummed out when I read about that. The only way something like that's going to change is, is if the media takes more of a unified front, small sites and large sites alike, and approach the sport of mixed martial arts, and especially the UFC, in such a way where they say, hey, you know, we don't have to cover you guys. There's a lot of other organizations we can cover. And let your voices be heard with the, with your keyboards and your pens, only because at this point everybody is going to kiss the UFC's ass because they feel they're the only game in town. But there are other smaller organizations out there that put on great fights and don't limit the the expressive views of, of, of certain websites. That's just a personal beef I got I know other people are going to agree and disagree with with my stance on that, but personally, I just feel that something like that, we need all the press we can get, especially good press. I love talking MMA. I love having guests on that can appreciate the sport. Hell, there's a couple of listeners that weren't into mixed martial arts that have heard a lot of broadcasts and have gotten into it. Even our own Slick started watching more MMA since being a part of MTR, and he enjoys it. He's been here multiple times watching fights. It's just a matter of taking a couple of minutes and sitting down and educating yourself on the sport, and you'll find your favorite fighters and your favorite organizations. And you're going to want to talk about them with your peers and with other people that share those interests. I just think that the UFC stifling that is, is a bad move. With regards to Strike Force, as, as I was saying before I went off on that little tangent, Scott Coker's been reinforcing the fact, the fact that Strike Force will continue doing things business as usual. He did go on record, according to MMA Junkie, in regards to fight bonuses being awarded at future Strike Force events. He said that he'd like to see incentive at, incentives added, much like the UFC gives out for fight of the night, knockout of the night, and submission of the night. He went on record to say that it's something that Strike Force would have done, but it might have been another year or two. Honestly, I would like to see that. That would uh, definitely add a little bit more 
a, a little risk into the pot in terms of getting there and getting knocked out of the night or submission of the night. There are a lot of these guys that they only that they go out there and they give it a thousand percent just because they love the honor of being fight of the night recipients on multiple occasions. I mean, Chris Lytle is a guy that's that's been awarded plenty of those bonuses before. So that extra bit of money helps, especially for some of these fighters that aren't making the huge paydays yet. Every little bit of money helps, and I think that with some Zufa backing, I could be seeing we we could be seeing Strike Force getting those incentives sooner rather than later. The UFC also had some cuts this week, one of which was Sean McCorkle, who was ten and two. He started his career at nine and zero. After he was signed by the UFC, he won his debut fight against Mark Hunt, but then he followed that victory with two losses, one to Stefan Struve and the other to Christian Moorcraft. The, uh, the Twitter boards were especially vocal about McCorkle's early release only because he had lost two fights. Again, with the acquisition of Strike Force, there will be more of these type, these type of cuts cutting, um, excuse me, type of cuts coming out only because there's so much talent now on the roster that it's, it's gonna, you're gonna see a lot of guys just get banged out after their second loss or if they don't go out there and put on an exciting performance. In some other UFC news, the UFC announced via Twitter that Carlos Condit will be meeting Dong Yun Kim at UFC 132. UFC 132 will be taking place July 2nd at the MGN Grand Arena. Oh, MGM, excuse me, not MGN. In Vegas. These are the fights on that card. You got Dominic Cruz and Uriah Faber for the bantamweight belt. Fanderlei Silva and Chris Lieben. Ryan Bader and Tito Ortiz. Um, Eric Koch and... Cub Swanson, Evan Dunham, and George Sotteropoulos, Dennis Seaver, and Matt Wyman, and Melvin Gillard, and Shane Royer are the fights listed thus far for UFC 132. In some Chael Sonnen news, because it wouldn't be a, a complete MMA segment without knowing, on, without knowing what's going on with Chael, Chael was actually sentenced by the U.S. District Court this week for two years probation and a $10,000 fine on a federal charge of money laundering. Sonnen was sentenced in Portland, Oregon, and in addition to the charge, he will need to give up his real estate license. Now with that behind him, his suspension behind him, Chael Sonnen is clear to resume his MMA career because his UFC contract was suspended when he pled guilty to the money laundering charge. As of right now, the potential opponent for Chael is Michael DeCount Bisping, with rumors going as far as saying that they will be coaching the next season of The Ultimate Fighter. I can tell you right now that those two guys coaching a season of The Ultimate Fighter will be ridiculous. But, again, one of the things that has been plaguing a couple of seasons of The Ultimate Fighter will definitely happen, and that is that the emphasis will be more on the coaches and less on the fighters. During the Strikeforce Diaz and Daily event, Strikeforce announced the fights for their June 18th event, which is going to be the continuation of the Strikeforce Heavyweight Grand Prix. The two fights on that. From the Grand Prix are Alistair Overeem, Overeem and Fabricio Verdum, and Brett Rogers and Josh Barnett. Also added to that card is Daniel Cormier and Shane Del Rosario, which I'm looking forward to seeing, and Chad Griggs versus Valentin Overeem. Plus, they hyped the return of Gina Carano. Chad Griggs was recently on MMA Gospel Radio, and you can check that out by heading over to blogtalkradio.com slash MMA Gospel and listen to that. The man with the mighty sideburns will be meeting with the smaller Overeem, and we will find out who is the better heavyweight, 
in that particular contest. Me personally, I'm a huge fan of both Overeem brothers. I like Griggs. He um he looked really impressive in his last two fights. His fight with Lashley was was really good. I enjoyed it. Again, some people felt that Lashley got exposed in that fight. I've already shared my thoughts on that. You can catch that in some of the previous broadcasts. But Cormier and Del Rosario is going to be another fantastic fight. And, of course, the the two Grand Prix fights. My pick right now is Barnett and Overeem advancing. I like Verdum. I don't think Verdum is going to want to stand with Alistair. I think he's going to want to definitely use his Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Overeem is going to go in there looking for destruction from the stand-up. And Barnett and Rogers, I think that they're going to take it to the ground. Barnett's going to use his catch wrestling style, and he's going to take the fight from the ground. Hopefully my picks hold true come June 18th. In some other UFC news, they started setting up UFC on Versus 4, which takes place June 24th. Nice birthday present for yours truly. Thus far, some of the rumored fights on that card, well, the rumored main event on that card is Pat Barry and Chet Congo. Um, Also on that card will be Rich Antonito and Matt Brown. Manny Gambarian and Tyson Griffin. Joe Lazan and Kurt Warburton was added. Joe Stevenson and Javier Vasquez. And recently added Edward uh, Falodo versus Michael Johnson from The Ultimate Fighter. So definitely going to be solid, solid night of fights uh, for the Versus Network. And that's going to be June 24th. And it's going to be from the Console Energy Arena in Pittsburgh, PA. Here's something that I never thought I would share this quick with you guys. Of course, we got UFC 129 at the end of the month, and with every UFC event, there is always a UFC Fan Expo. This particular Fan Expo in Toronto will be very important only because it will be the first expo to showcase Strike Force fighters in addition to UFC fighters. Gilbert Melendez, my guest Kung Lee, and Herschel Walker will be at the event. That event will be taking place you, um, April 29th and 30th at the Direct Energy Center in Toronto. You're going to have Q&A autograph sessions, training seminars, photo ops, of course, a grappling tournament. There will be a trade show. Other fighters that will be there, which I'm sure a lot of our Toronto listeners will enjoy, are going to be John Jones, Anderson Silva, Kane Velasquez, and Dominic Cruz. You're going to have Hall of Famers there, Chuck Liddell and Hoist Gracie, as well as BJ Penn, Rashad Evans, uh, Antonio Rogerio Nogueira, Koscheck, Ryan Bader, Stephen Bonner, Shane Carwin, Matt Mitrione, Brendan Schaub, John Fitch, Miguel Angel Torres, Anthony Pettis, Clay Guida, Joe Lazan, Cole Miller, Sam Stout, Carlos Condit, and Jonathan Brookins. So for those of you in Toronto, April 29th and 30th will be your days. Bellator 41 is this Saturday. You can check that out on MTV2. Here are the fights for that card. Joe Warren and Marcos Galvao will be uh, competing in a non-title fight. Also, Zach Makovsky and Chad, wow, I'm going to fuck up this, Robichaud, I guess is his name, will be meeting also. Uh, Zach Makovsky and Joe Warren are Bellator champions. They will be competing in non-title fights, three five-minute rounds. Also, there will be Kenny Foster and Daniel Strauss. That's going to be a featherweight tournament semifinal. And also, uh, Patricio Pitbull will be fi- will be facing Wilson Race, and that's also a featherweight tournament semifinal bout. And last but not least, to wrap up the MMA news, uh, the UFC middleweight champion Anderson Silva will be meeting Yushin Okami at UFC Rio. That's going to be the first UFC show in Brazil since 1998. 
Dana White made the announcement today, and both both sides have agreed. That's going to be August 27th at the HSBC Arena in Rio. Slick has just informed me that Kung Lee is on the line. I'm going to bring him on right now. Kung Lee, what's going on, man? I um, just, uh, just got done teaching class and uh, just relaxing now. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you taking the time to come on. Thanks for having me. All right, a couple a couple of things. I'm going to jump right into it. Of course, the the last time you had fought was for for Strike Force, and you had locked up with, of course, good old Scott Smith, who you know all too well. Um, what have you been doing since then? I've been real busy with uh, uh, doing movies, and also I just uh, have a newborn son, so I, you know, quite busy. I did. Uh, Three movies in the last five months, and uh, it's uh, just uh, one day at a time. That's awesome! Congratulations on on fatherhood. Thank you very much. Well, in, in, are, are you contemplating going back into the cage, or is or, or are you looking to embrace acting more now that you that you're a parent? Is that going to be your 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 bread and butter, or are you going to try and split time like you've been doing? Uh, you know what? I, I've gotten back about uh, two months ago, and it's just been like nonstop, uh, you know, taking meetings, and you know, I've been getting back in my training. So I just really haven't, you know, got a chance to really sit down and with with the UFC buyout of Strike Force. You know, it's just been um, I really I've I've got a chance to sit down with Scott Cooker briefly, and you know, he's just so busy. So you know that uh, that conversation's got to be continued. Are you? Do you feel that 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 at this point, especially now with the Zufa acquisition, that you that you'll still be a fit in the Strike Force organization, or, or or are you a little hesitant, especially with with so much talent now, you know, comprised it from both rosters? Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm not worried about all the talent. I'm actually, you know, I feel like uh, you know, um, I've been with Strike Force, you know, since the beginning, and you know. Um, you know, I just I enjoy fighting, so it's uh, it's not about you know there's so much talent. You know, I'm sure there, you know, if if I would have lost a couple fights in a row, then maybe I would have got cut. But you know, it's just uh, it happened that uh, I got caught in the third round on the first Scott uh, first Scott Smith fight, and then I was uh, you know um, went back to the drawing boards and and you know got at, got after Scott Smith uh, six months later and you know knocked him out. So it's just. Uh, you know, and then uh, you know, fortunate for me, I you know get picked up on one movie after another. Uh, you know, I'm just going with the flow. Oh yeah, I mean, one. It's funny because you know, I've been fo- I've been following your career. One one of, one of my favorite fights was with you and Frank Shamrock. I have kind of a love hate relationship with him. So you know, seeing your seeing you perform so well against him put a, put a smile on my face. Um, the Scott Smith fight, you you came back fierce after that loss, like, like you went back to the drawing board and all, it almost felt to, to the viewing audience. And especially in my eyes that you were a completely different fighter. Like there were some tweaks that you made to your game that were, were very obvious. You were a lot more aggressive in that fight and and you made it very exciting. So I definitely wanted to take, take a moment and commend you on that. Oh, you know, thank you very much. I think, uh, on, on the second fight, I was just, you know, actually a little bit smarter uh, I, I, I actually the first fight I was 
I felt like I was uh, a little bit more aggressive trying to put him away early with all these crazy kicks and then I, I kind of didn't know, uh, you know, the, the the right pace for the fight, so I kind of pushed the pace a little bit too much and in, in the third round, you know, the gas tank was empty and uh, I got caught and, you know, in MMA, it's part of the game. So I came back and I just uh, picked my shots, you know, in the second fight and uh, just made, made sure every shot counted. And, and set him up for that thing back hit. Well, the the funny thing about that was that when it, when when you were pushing the pace in that fight, every every you were and exactly like you were saying, you were you were picking the shots a lot more. Not to say that you weren't more controlled in your first fight, but in this fight, you pushed it, and you know every shot went in there just right. That spinning back kick was a, an unexpected ending for sure. I, I was you know I mean your your kicks are. Are well known, but that spinning back kick was was something I didn't I didn't expect to end the fight that quickly. Yeah, um, I think I think the first time when it hit his arms, he he was uh, shocked at you know at the power, and then the second time I I threw some uh, a two punch combo, and I thought I I thought he was just uh, you know expecting like a like a head kick, and then left his uh, you know stomach open, and I spun right into it, and you know I finished him. Well, of course, now that, now you know that with the, the past event, the, the the this past weekend, you know the Strike Force event with Diaz and Daly, uh, I'm I'm sure you you keep up with what what's going on in Strike Force. Um, how did what did you think of the card overall? And is, you you know how did Nick Diaz and Daly perform for you, especially for someone who's you know been a a, a title holder? And how did the card shape up for you, especially now that Zufa was involved? Did you notice any subtle differences in the presentation, you know, from an outsider's point of view? Well, you know, um, Strikeforce always puts on exciting fights, and, you know, with uh, you know, Dana White there, and, uh, and then uh, with Gilbert Molinas and Nick Diaz, uh, you, know, you know, headlining the event. I mean, I, I felt like almost every fight from uh, Musashi to Gilbert Melendez to Nick Diaz could have been the main event, so it was a, a card that was stacked, and um, I think this card was, uh, you know, you know, one of Strike Force's uh, most exciting matchups for you know the fans to watch. And uh, Gilbert Melendez he just dominated, and uh, you know Nick Diaz had that awesome, exciting, you know, uh, first round knockout. But uh, you know, it was a back and forth war, and you know, I'm sure. Um, the fans were very, uh, very happy with that uh, with that fight. And you know, Masashi, um, you know, it was a it, it was a weird call. I thought Masashi won, but you know, um, it, it was a, that was an exciting fight as well. Yeah, it was it, it was crazy. I um, a lot of people were were talking about the Masashi fight, and I was I was shocked the way it went down, only because you would have you would have expected. You you know the way it, the fight was called to me, I was like, I don't know. It just just like you were saying, it seemed a little a little odd the way it went down. The the Shinya Aoki fight and and the beer bomb fight was ridiculous, only because I expected that fight to go a lot longer than it did. Yeah, that was real fast. The you know seeing that draw, seeing that draw in the in the Musashi fight, I was like, I was like, what fight were these guys watching? You know, I. But that's what happens when you leave it to the judges. I know. You, you and, and, and a few other fighters I've spoken to say the same thing. You know, you got to go out there and perform 110% just so that you don't leave it in the hands of the judges. 
I totally agree with that philosophy. Um, just don't leave it in the judge's hands. So you got to go out there, and, you know, go, uh, you know, uh, put, you know, leave it all in the cage. A lot of people have been saying that they should, when when fights are declared a draw, they should add another round in there. Do you agree with that philosophy, or do you think that's something that should be just relegated to, let's say, title fights? I mean, that's a tough call. I mean, I think for a title fight, definitely, if, if it's a draw, it should be a sudden death round. You know, I'm sure by that after the fifth round, both fighters to be exhausted. It's, it's going to it's going to come down to who digs deeper. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, uh, on on regular fights, sometimes it, it, uh, you know, with a pay per view or Showtime, um, you know, there's only a certain certain time limit, and if they extend it too long, it might like, go over that time limit. So, you know, it's a it's it's almost a it's a double edged knife. Yeah. It's, it... It's funny the way it goes. I think that a lot of guys, and in title fights in particular, you already got that adrenaline there, and the fight's already gone, you know, the full 25 minutes. I really would like to see a winner, especially with these championship fights. I've just seen a trend that's been happening a little bit too often for my liking with all these draws. I totally agree. I think definitely for title fights, but, you know, for, like, you know, fights that are, like, on the undercard, you know, it, you know, it's, it's all, it all comes down to time and time limit. You can't say, well, we don't have enough time, so we're gonna, we're not gonna do it you know, overtime round. So I think it's just stay consistent, but definitely for a title fight, you know, if it was a five round hard, you know, back and forth, you know, fight, I'm sure the audience would love to see a, a six round, but you know, you know, it, it just, it, it's, it's, uh, not up to the fighters. It's just up to, you know, the promoters. Yeah, I am. Um, I really, for title fights, I, I definitely, and I can see your logic in that from time constraints. You're going to want to see, you know, you only for title fights that that should be, you know, that should be something that should be the norm instead of being debated. For for undercard fights, yeah, especially with, with TV deals, with Showtime and and even on on the pay per view side of things, there's there's a couple of other fights you can throw in there instead of trying to to get those those draw rounds taken care of. Uh, it's something that we can hopefully see change in the future. Yeah, totally. Now, of course, I, I want to get in. I want to get into your acting career because I, I I've seen a lot of the movies you've been in. I saw fighting with Channing Tatum and and your involvement in that film. Uh, the the fight choreography for that, especially because they they it was it was uh, a heavy mixed martial arts influence, it, it, you know you your your character in there you were you were playing almost I would want to say you were playing the villain but you were just uh, playing a competing fighter. In regards to choreography for that, especially with your martial arts background, how did you you know how did that transition and did that help you film the fight scenes a lot better? Like for fighting, um, Mike Gunter was the fight coordinator, and you know uh, he would ask my opinion a lot, and I would just say we should do this, we should do that, and um, you know he would start sticking my ideas in into you know into the fight, and um, you know it, you know in the end it, it was one of the best fights in the movie, and then same thing with Pandorum, um, you know the the fight coordinator out in uh, Germany, he says, hey, Colin, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? And, 
I just started putting my input, and I, I, I realized that everything that I'm saying, they're doing, but I'm not getting credit for it. So finally, <laughs> I just tried to uh, um, choreograph my own fights in Dragon Eyes, and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's it, it was very fun, but at the same time, very, very taxing on, on my my body, and just because I didn't get enough rest, because after 12 or 13 hours of shooting, then you have to go and make sure the next fight scene and all the guys that, that are in the next fight scene are, you know, know what what to do, what to expect. And it was definitely a, um, a very tough movie to do, um, doing the fight court choreography and then also being the lead actor of the movie. Movies. And, you know, it's uh, but I learned so much from it. I got a chance to work with the up-and-coming director, John Hines. And then right after that, I went straight to... Uh, the man with the iron fist. I got a chance to work with uh, Riza and his director. You know, he, this is the first time he directed um, like like a whole featured film, and then work with uh, like uh, you know Russell Crowe, Lucy Liu, and producers like Eli Roth and Mark Abraham and uh, um, Eric Newman, like you know, big big time producers. And it's not like if I was doing B movies, I'd be definitely like, oh, you know, I'm you know, do do a couple weeks of um, filming and then. Uh, you know, jump right back in and train for a fight, but, you know, these are studio movies released by either Warner Brothers or Universal. I know The Man with the Iron Fist is released by uh, Universal, and uh, Dragon Eyes is released by Warner Brothers. So I'm I'm definitely in the mix with the big boys, and, you know, I, you know it's uh, an opportunity that doesn't come around much. So when I'm filming, I, I'm, I'm away for two months, and then, then um, you know, for uh, The Man with the Iron Fist, I'll away, you know, for for nine weeks, you know, over two months, so uh, I definitely, uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't have a chance to train like a fighter, I was just able to train and stay in shape and, you know, look the part that I'm playing, and, and that, you know, now that I'm back, it's, you know, it's, uh, catch up time with my uh, newborn, you know, Robert, and all my other two kids, I have three boys, and also my wife and my family, and also, you know, I, I also enjoy teaching at my gym. I, I love to teach the kids. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm back in the mix, and I'm also, you know, training here and there. But it's uh, just, uh, just you know, trying to get, uh, you know, just uh, a regular schedule. And next thing I know, I'm, you know, off to, uh, you know, um, L.A. Uh, meeting with other producers, you know, get, you know, get offered two-picture deals here. And, you know, and it's pretty exciting, but, you know, I do miss, one one of the things I wanted to ask you, I know you you were in the Tekken film. We actually reviewed that a while back in in a segment we do for for our app, and you portrayed martial law in that film. Martial law, of course, being based on Bruce Lee. How did how did it feel? You know, just being involved in that sort of a project, and I, and I'm sure they probably broke it down to you that martial law was influenced on Bruce Lee, and you were you emulated a lot of, of martial law's movement very well in the in, in the movie. And, you know, of course it was inspired by Bruce Lee. How did you how did you prep for that and and you know, what amount of research went into getting all that movement down packed? Did you spend time playing the game or did they just break it down to you telling you more to to be, emphasize more of Bruce Lee's fighting style? Yeah, actually um when, when I got that role I was very excited because uh, I used to play Tekken a lot and then that was the character I played, you know, um, I played martial law um, pretty much every time, and and uh, you know 
for me to get the part, I just played the game more. I, I followed what was uh, uh, wrote about martial law, you know, on the internet, and just uh, you know, trying to you know get my uh, you know my moves as close to you know uh, you know the game as possible. But uh, you know, then again, the, the fight uh, choreograph um, person, you know, uh, was more like very. Uh, uh, he didn't want to, you know, take anyone else's idea. He was, you know, this is, you know, do this, uh, you know. And I I felt like he kind of got it mixed up a little bit because martial law does a backflip kick, but then he had, you know, the other character do the backflip kick. And, you know, I just, you know, that's, you know, when it's in someone else's hand and they're in charge of it, you just got to follow directions. You You give them your input, whether they... You know, they use it or not. You just gotta do what they say. So, um, you know, martial law was, you know, it was a, uh, you know, it was a exciting to get. But when I was on set, I was more frustrated because, you know, I had to do certain things that wasn't martial law. And, you know, in the end, I was more excited about the Frank Shamrock fight because I, I was, uh, you know, training for Frank Shamrock, and they kept pushing my part, pushing my part, and, I, and it came down to you know, like three and a half weeks before um, they were going to film my um, uh, my uh, martial martial law part, and then uh, I I was three and a half weeks away from fighting Frank Shamrock, and I almost passed on being martial law, and so they finally got me out there and you know rushed you know this shoot, and I was you know I was in and out for you know in one week. But uh, you know, I was supposed to be out there for three weeks to you know rehearse and you know just uh, to to you know just to better understand the direction of you know, the fight coordinators. But I didn't get a chance to do it, and I ended up getting 21 stitches before the Frank Shamrock fight. So Jeez. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very um, unpleasant uh, experience for me with uh, you know. Um, with uh, Tekken, and but you know it worked out great. I I beat Frank, and um, and then uh, you know right after that I uh, ended up uh, doing Pandorum, and I was away for like uh, almost three months in Germany. So it's uh it's you know you know one one thing, and it's and it's unfortunate because it, you know we we cover video games here too. When I watched the Tekken movie, I I felt that. They they were going too much with the story and not trying to capture some of those some of the moves from certain fighters. So I'm not surprised when you were saying that they didn't allow you to do certain things with martial law, only because in in and looking at some of the other fighters in the movie and just the overall story, they they took certain liberties and and it's unfortunate, especially when and I know it must have been heartbreaking for you as as a gamer that's played the game and then you know you go in there and you're like oh man I'm gonna play. A, a character that I've used, and then they go, yeah, well, we only want you to do, you know, four kicks and ten punches, and you must have been like, wait a minute, that's that's not how this works. Yeah, it was very frustrating, but, you know, I'm just there, I'm going to follow direction, and and then, uh, you know, not not be one of those guys that, you know, everyone, uh, you know, dislikes. Yeah, you can't afford to be difficult, especially when you're starting out. I did want to ask... And I definitely have have a lot to ask about the man with the iron fist, and I know you're you're probably not at liberty to give me a lot. I know that with Dragonize, you're you're in there with Van Dam and Peter Weller. You got a couple of 
a couple of guys in there. Are, are you doing any fight scenes with Van Dam? Can you can you share that or? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, Van Dam was like my uh, my uh, mentor, my teacher in jail, and and uh, we you know we exchanged a lot of ideas, and I was totally open. But Van Dam was like, "What, what do you want me to do?" <laughs> so uh, you know, he he completely you know opened up, trusted me, and you know we we have we have a like a like amazing like um chemistry as you know our character that you know that work with each other in jail and it just turned out really good and working with him you know like a lot of people told me oh he's very difficult i i gotta disagree he was great to work with you know he you know he, he was very you know he, he had a lot of energy and brought a lot to to our scene so um it was uh it was a great experience for me. I, actually, everything about Dragon Eyes was great. Just the, like the hard work was like, you know, I close my eyes, you know, after I'm done with everything, and they say, no, the alarm clock is going off, and I'm like, barely getting up out of bed, you know, getting getting on set. But uh, it was definitely worth it because I got a chance to see, um, you know, a little bit of what the director uh, put together, and it was it's it's going to be amazing. I definitely I believe that MMA fans are going to be like. Yeah, you know, it's not like, you know, two guys fighting in the cage, but I definitely got some MMA um, moves out there on the streets, and Gilbert Melendez was in it, uh, Dan Henderson, um, Trevor Prangley. Uh, I mean, you know, nice. a good group of guys, and actually, you know, from Dan Henderson to Trevor Prangley to Gilbert Melendez, they, they all came big, and they, they all got acting chops. So, um, you know, um, it, was, it was awesome. And, you know, Warner Brothers and Joel Silver, who's, a big time producer, you know, they they're very happy with what what they've been seeing with the dailies and and the director John Hines, he says he's a better editor than he is a, a director. So I'm very excited to see this whole movie come together, and uh, I'm sure the MMA fans are gonna be like, you know, uh, MMA moves are being repped inside this movie in a very powerful way, and you know, I felt like you know what can I bring to the table, and I wanted to have. A little bit of the Eastern flavor with uh, uh, mixed with the Western, uh, you know, film fighting and meet somewhere in the middle. And I think I I, I I hit it off really good because now every time I take a meeting, um, not only are they asking me to you know be part of their movie, but if I was interested in choreographing all the fight scenes, and I was like, hey, you know what, I'll do it again. I've done it before. That's that, that's great to hear because you actually answered my next question, which was, you know, do you see yourself involving your, you know, getting more involved in in the fight choreography aspect? I mean, I had Michael Jai White on the show a couple of of weeks back, and we were talking about fight choreography because you know he's working on on a movie with a couple of MMA guys as well. Um, I think I think that the choreography makes these movies. It's a make or break because if the choreography looks like garbage, the story can be epic, but the fights just won't seem real. And that's you know that's one thing that that you know the movie fighting had its detractors for for a lot of different reasons, but the fighting seemed legit. You know, like there were there was real there were real mixed martial arts moves, real martial arts moves on display, and 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 it was so tight and so precise that it kind of made you forget about the story. Uh, I'm sure people won't forget about the story um, after they see Dragon Eyes because, uh, you know, um, a lot of us came out of the movie with some uh, some knots and uh, <laughs> some, some crazy knots. But, you know, um, 
I, you know, I think the biggest difference of being a martial artist first is, you know, you have a lot of great actors out there. But, uh, you know, it also comes, it's up to the director to direct them well and to put the scene together well. And I think everything that just, it, it just came together so well with the, you know, the director, John Hines, he, he was just very good at bringing out the best of, like, you know, uh, fighters first before the actors. And then he just made everyone so comfortable and it, it, it becomes so natural. And when we got to the fight scenes, you know, the fighters, that's, that's what we do for a living. You know, uh, you know, I'm sure actors, you know, they, they can sell a punch. You know, they, they, they can sell a throw, but they really never been punched or they've never been thrown. So, you know, they, they, they're limited at, you know, at, um, at selling it compared to a fighter who's been hit, who's been thrown. Uh, this, this movie definitely is going to be dynamic. Uh, I'm very proud of it, um, you know. I just, I wish I had more time to, you know, to spend on the movie because it was a 20-day shoot. Um, but we were prepared. I was there a month beforehand. We rehearsed every day. Uh, we even worked seven days a week. You know, we didn't we didn't give ourselves any breaks. We just worked right up until um, we uh, we started filming. And it was it's uh, it was uh, definitely a great working with you know you know fighters and as well as actors. Um, as you know, Peter Weller, very great. You know, he's he's an awesome actor. Von Dom delivered big on his acting there. It's it was it was fun. You know, one th- one thing I was I was, and especially now that you've been you know involved in so many projects, I had wanted to ask you, and I I've, I've actually been trying to find it because I'm also a fan of, of this particular actor's work. I know that you had done uh, a movie with Donnie Yen, um, Bodyguards and Assassins. Yes, yes. Donnie Yen is uh, he he's one of those guys that you know it's like when you're at a high level uh, in in any martial arts, he still wants to learn. And Donnie Yen, you know, I got I got to set, and first thing Donnie Yen started doing it, he started taking my brains about you know MMA moves and how to use it in movies. And and I was like, hey, this is a 1905 piece. Why why are we talking about MMA? Let's <laughs> let's, get, let's get our fight team down, you know. And then uh. But like the funny thing about Donnie Yen and our fight team, we shot 14 days straight. And then uh, I was complaining the whole time. I was like, this fight coordinator is making us look bad. We should just, you know, tell the producer and just let us, you know, take charge of our fight team. And Donnie's all, well, you know, you know, I, I don't want to take food away from, you know, um, you know, this guy. It's like if, if I if I say let us take over, you know, he's out of a job. I said. Not to be mean, Donnie, but after this fight scene, when people watch this, we're going to be in a, we're going to be out of our jobs. No one's going to watch. And I'm all, this is like you know my opportunity to get a chance to work with you. And then he's all, oh, there'll be other projects. I'm like, no, there won't. I'm taking it one project at a time. And uh, and then after the producer saw the dailies, and then I thought like when the producer Peter Channing thought, come, I need to talk to you. Meet me in suit, you know, at the sushi restaurant after you wrap. I'm like, oh my god. Am I in trouble now? Because Uh-oh. I you know, complaining too much. I got in there. I was like, almost like, I was like, like nervous. Like, you know, like my dad was gonna like, you know, <laughs> right. And then uh, basically he says, "Hey, come, um, you know, you're right about um, this fight scene. It's, uh, there's no power to it, and you're doing all these, you know, old school moves." And I was just like, keep talking, you know, like, 
And I, I let him talk, and he's like, what do you think we should do? Well, hey, we got two and a half blocks of 1905 Hong Kong. You built it from ground up. Why are we not having parkour, some free running? You know, one have Don Yim, like, just jump and dive over people and let me smash through people. And he's like, oh, that's a great idea. And then a month later, they brought me back, and we, we, we shot it. Yeah, you're capitalizing on your strengths. I mean, it's it's showing your 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 growth as an actor and just your your fight expertise when you can go and pick a scene apart like that and just be like, look, he's he's smaller, he's more nimble, he should be, you know, trying to escape me and using the the, the surroundings as 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 a, his means of escape. That that's the way it works because you have a larger frame, so it works better. It looks more realistic. Yeah. So, and it, you know, I kind of went like. Right, let him be the, the like the slit, uh, the the one who flips all over. Let me smash through people running on rooftops and stuff like that. But it ended up working out great. You know, people thought that was the best fight scene in the movie, and and uh, you know, and from that movie, I got a, a you know a call from uh, Wong Kar Wai, and then got a chance to work with Wu Ping again in Grand Masters, and you know, um, that that's been a, a big learning experience from a high level you know, actors, directors. Well, yeah, because that's a that's a movie based on Yip Man. So yeah. I, I can I can imagine the the amount I, I you know, the amount of talent that's involved in that and, you know, being a period piece, you know, Yip Man seems to be very popular. Of course Donnie Yen has been portraying him in, in the IP man films. Um yeah. I, how does how does that feel being involved in something telling a story about a about a guy who's who's a legend, you know, who trained a legend? It must be uh, surreal, I know. I was actually just so happy to be working with Wong Kar Wai. I, I, you know, the, the first movie that I studied uh, was Fallen Angels that he directed, and um, it was I was blown away on how it was shot, and you know, to be able to work with him and to be directed by him, and um, it, it was, you know, by you know, by then I've been directed by a lot of people. He just definitely. Um, he just knows his craft and knows how to bring the best out of you. I'm not taking anything away from any of the other directors, but he was just one of those guys that been in the game, and it's like uh, fighting a, a seasoned champion who knows, you know, every angle to to you know pick you apart. And he knew every angle to bring the best out out of my character. I, I learned so much from him, and I took that and I brought it to Dragon Eyes, and I, I they <clears throat> expanded my part. And then um, I, I flew back there, and I, I worked with him again, and I expanded, um, you know, uh, my character. You know, I, I was able to put more layers with my character in that movie. And then from that, that um, working with him for the second time, I got a chance to go back to uh, the set of uh, The Man with the Iron Fist and then uh, into my third day of shooting, the, like, the, the Man with the Iron Fist. They just kept expanding my part and adding more to it because... I was like ready to go. I just got done working with Wong Kar Wai, and it was just, uh, it was like, you know, you went out there and you controlled this whole scene, and you, you know, you own it, and I, that's what I thought I did. Well, you know, it's it's funny. The man, the man with the iron fist, is, is a movie I've been following closely. Um, you know, I, I I go back my, you know, my my martial arts movies experience goes all the way back to old Shaw Brothers stuff. So you know, oh, really? I, I, yeah, I pick I pick up a lot of that stuff, and I watch a lot of the newer stuff, and I'll go back and watch the old Shaw Brothers stuff only because 
some of the stories were really well done. And what I've been hearing with the man with the iron fist is exactly that. It's almost a throwback to that type of a genre. So your involvement in that was really cool when I when I was reading about it and I heard you were involved. And, um, you know, we, we cover wrestling also. So when I was talking about Batista being involved, it was pretty big. So um, o- overall, the process for that, I know that you guys were shooting a lot on location. Um, the the prep work for that and just working with, with so many actors, did you did you feel nervous at all? Like, Or was it something where you have already done so many films that it seemed like, all right, let's get to work. This is what I have to offer. You know, see, see me do my best work you know, with my martial arts? Well, actually, um, I can't speak for every fighter, but I'll speak for myself. Being inside of a cage, and when you look across the cage and you see the guy pace back and forth like a a Frank Shamrock or a Scott Smith or whoever you fight, and the guy's pacing back and forth, and then you look out and you see thousands of people inside the arena, and there's like six cameras going, you don't have a second take. You don't, you know, there's no director saying cut. You know, there's only a referee waving the fight off or, you know, asking you if you're okay. <laughs> so, it, you know, being uh, on a movie set, it's like, I, you know, I can't remember, you know, if I felt nervous. I, I was just like, oh, right, this is cool. You know, if, if I mess up, the director, I, I can even ask the director, hey, can I shoot that again? Can we shoot that again? I think I can deliver it better. And, and so... For me, as a fighter, uh, before and after, I feel like I have such the advantage. Like, I feel like when I look at a real actor, I intimidate the actor, and then uh, you know, it's uh, um, knowing that you can um, do a move and, and you can, uh, you know, shoot it again and again until you get it right. It just gives you all the confidence in the world, and you know, by going into these movies um, by Pandora, I was like. I didn't feel any nerves at all, and come, uh, you know, the man with the iron fist. Um, I, I just uh, uh, this, this movie is big because you know I think the budget was only twenty million, and even Russell yep. Crowe was like when he saw the the first teaser to it, he thought it looks like an eighty million dollar movie. So this movie is going to be big, and really, you know, actually I was in L.A. yesterday, and I went to go visit um, uh, Riza, and he showed me a couple scenes. My, I, I had to get my mouth off the off the off the floor because it's the the movie looks so big and the characters and everything that Rizzo was trying to bring out was was really uh, now I see I, I I finally see his vision and Rizzo is one of those guys he he if you if you think you know Shaw Brothers Rizzo has every single movie there is I think he wow. He must, Give uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, a run for his money on 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 kung fu movies because both those Holy guys have shit. Been and then uh, even Quentin Tarantino came out there and I remember during our lunch break they were talking about Shaw Brothers movies and I was like what movie is that I didn't even know what movies they were talking about so these guys they 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 know their stuff and you know Rizzo um, uh, wanted to you know um, take a few fights and like remake it and. We we totally pulled it off, and you know, have, even having Dave Bautista there, and uh, Russell Crowe was amazing to watch. Uh, you know, I he 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 now I know why he's an Academy Award winner, and it's just being on set and learning so much, and not you know, 
not worrying about, oh, how do I look or, you know, did I do okay? I just went out there and, hey, this is me. What you see is what you get. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like I uh, I totally, uh, you know, delivered my part as Bronze Lion and Linda was very happy. And this movie is going to come together and people are going to be like, wow, this is, uh, this is what you call a fantasy movie, you know. So it's, it, I, I would say it's a... It, it's a cross between Lord of the Rings and uh, Kill Bill. Nice. Do you yeah. feel that this movie? Do you feel that this movie um, and Dragon Eyes are are going to help with the resurgence of of you know uh, full length martial arts features on on the on the silver screen? Because a lot of times you know we go through those dry periods. You know where Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out, and then they did um, you know Jet Li's Hero, and then things got kind of quiet. Then they brought more realistic uh, martial arts films and then kind of shifted to MMA, including Warrior, which is coming out. Do you feel this is a renaissance of those throwback martial arts movies, the real epic ones that are on, that are on, a, on a more grand scale? I totally believe this is the, um, the, the beginning of the martial arts era again because of how big MMA has uh, impacted the economy and um, you know, Warrior coming out, and a lot of MMA movies already have, you know, been done. Fighting being like one of the first to hit the screens, and and then you know, um, never back down and stuff like that. And um, every, like even like top level um, actors like Brad Pitt, you know, in Mr. and Mr. Smith, you see him getting, you know, at the beginning of the movie. There's a little bit of MMA, so MMA, you know, I think it's uh, like it's everywhere and. And then to have so many different movies, like you know the kung fu type movies, to to um, I, I gotta you know of course plug Dragon Eyes because you know for for me I know what I delivered and to to the, the producers that were part of it they're very happy so I know and they're uh, you know one of the producers very hard to please and you know. Um, he was definitely happy with, you know, uh, he he expressed some happiness finally three days before I wrapped, you know, <laughs> on Dragon Eyes. And the whole time I couldn't even get him to, to smile at me. He's one of those, just, you know, those tough guys to please. And, you know, by the end, you know, he uh, he, he had a big smile. So I'll, it, it, it's, it's the beginning, you know, from Dragon Eyes to The Man with the Iron Fist, which is two different totally two different movies. One's like as real as they can get and the other one is like fantasy with some kick-ass fighting. I mean, some amazing stuff done by uh, Corey Yoon and, you know, every um, actor and every uh, stunt guy in there definitely delivered and we all worked so hard in in the condition in China. You know, it was definitely cold, freezing, you know, uh, a lot of MSG in the food, and but hey, we. we, we <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty funny. You're like, yeah, the diet was was not at its best. <laughs> yeah, it was all about egg whites and then uh, and yams almost every single meal because I couldn't take any more Chinese food. Jeez, um, one thing. One thing to, with as just a martial artist, if you can see any. Oh, it, and I saw, especially with one of your pictures earlier today, I saw your picture with Shannon Lee, which was really cool. Um, I remember I remember watching her. She used to host, I believe it was WMAC Masters. I used to watch on Channel 5 
growing yeah. up. And um, if if you if you had the opportunity to remake any Bruce Lee movie, which would it be? You know what? Um, all the Bruce Lee movies are classics. I wouldn't even touch them. You know? Wow, that's that's a great statement. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, you know, why even try to beat something that's a classic already? You know, I, I think you just gotta dig deep and come up with something original and and make that become a classic. So, um, you know, I'm I'm hoping, you know, whether uh, you know Dragon Eyes hits the theaters in a limited release or in a big release, I think uh, it's going to be a cult classic with, you know, a lot of the fight uh, fans and, you know, the movie goers, go, the action movie goers out there, they're definitely going to like what they see. And when uh, the man with the iron fist hits the screen, people are going to be in shock because RZA definitely, I mean, and uh, between RZA and Eli Roth, those two guys, they wrote something amazing and they were able to pull it off with a, a limited budget. I mean, $20 million is a lot of money, but for what they've done with this movie, it's, when you see it, it's like big as Lord of the Rings, if not bigger, because you you, you got to see it. It's like every Shaw Brother movie goers to every, um, you know, fight fan, you know, MMA fight fans or martial arts fight fans, when they go watch this movie, they get, they're going to leave the the theaters be like, damn, that was crazy. It was just crazy. <laughs> and it's it's a deep movie too, but it has a lot of fighting and has a lot of violence. And, you know, everyone just came big. You got you got me hyped to to want to see them both. You you know when 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 Dragon Eyes comes out and Man with the Iron Fist come out, you know you're gonna you're gonna have to stop in. <laughs> you're gonna have to stop in and, and break and break it down to us because I'm that de- you yeah. know I definitely I, I I'm definitely gonna see them. I always. And all martial arts flicks, I find a way to see, or I end up owning in some shape, way, or form. Um, one one other thing I had wanted to ask you was, you know, now that you're now that you're teaching and you you have your own school, do you do you feel that being now a teacher, you can kind of pick apart your own fights a lot more, especially when you watch tape? Now that you're teaching others. Well, I've been teaching for a long time, and, uh, you know, before, when when I was uh, doing, like, Sancho, I would never watch, uh, you know, fight tapes, and um, believe it or not, not until I started doing MMA, I started watching fight tapes, just to, because in, in MMA, there's so many different ways of being finished. You, you can knock someone out, you can tap someone out, you can ground and pound someone out, I mean, you can decision, you can you know, grind it out. You, it, there's so many ways of beating someone. So you have to, you know, really know your opponent from, you know, from front to back. So it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's the top of the food chain for, for fighters. MMA is, as, you know, that, I mean, I don't see anything else that can be legalized unless you got two guys with, uh, you know, an axe and a sword and, you know, the winner is the one who's, um, the one that's living still. I mean, MMA is, is top of teaching. Yeah, two, uh, the the two men enter, one man leave mentality. Yeah, totally. What you, you know, the seeing seeing Sancho get get some some play in MMA is is really nice to see, especially because you found such a great way to integrate it into your offense. 
Um, now that you know, since since teaching more, have have more MMA fighters also approached you in terms of in, in, you know adding those techniques to their arsenal? Well, you know, I I, I, I that's why I put out a book with uh, you know um, that just came out before I left to China, and uh, it's with Victory Books, and I, I, you know put all my best Sancho moves in there, and and uh, you know I think uh, I think Sancho is a a big part of my success inside the cage, you know, uh, just so many different techniques that uh, MMA fighter who just is, uh, you know, basic strikes, basic kicks, basic takedowns, you know, working the, the fight to the ground. Now you have, you know, movement, you have angles, you have different kicks coming at different angles, uh, different setups, different combinations that will throw an MMA, like a, like just a, uh, a typical MMA fighter who trains, you know, just your basic MMA, you know, everyday, you know, even a grinder. Like, there's just so many different things that Sancho brought to the table for me, and I definitely felt like it was a big part of my success in uh, in uh, in uh, MMA. Yeah, I just uh, I just pulled up the book it was with uh, Glenn Cordoza. I'm gonna add that to the links when, when I do the write-up for, for having you on. So definitely we're going to make sure to put that out there. Thank you very much for that. Um, before I let you go, I just wanted to say thank you for coming on. Congratulations again uh, on your newborn baby boy. And I will be checking out your flicks as soon as they drop. And we got to have you back on definitely to talk Dragon Eyes and uh, the man with the iron fist. And if you got any projects that, may, that we may not have talked about, you know you have an open-door invite to come back and talk for sure. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And I know there's a lot of fans that been, uh, you know, twittering me and Facebook me. When am I going to fight again? You know, um, I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'll, I'll be ready when the time comes. I'm sorry, but you know, an opportunity like this, when it when it comes up, you gotta you gotta just go with the flow. And you know, it's not like I'm doing B movies. I'm, I'm I have a chance to work with. With uh, that's right. Act, Russell Crowe producers like Eric Newman, Mark Abraham, Eli Roth, and you know um, Joel Silver, Courtney Solomon. So you know, being that, I think when when these movies hit and there's MMA or an MMA fighter in it, I'm representing the MMA fighters in these movies also. So I'm I'm also repping the MMA fans because you know. You don't see that many boxers in movies or, you know, nope. uh, football players, you know. But now you've got MMA, which is so hot and the, the fastest growing sport. And if, if I'm able to do something special and people know that's an MMA fighter, that's this, this movie. So, um, you know, whether you support me or not, I still am grateful for being an MMA fighter and I'll do my best to represent in any way that I have a chance to. Well, you know what, man? You're you're an great ambassador for the sport. Um, just want to make sure I get all all your plugs out. Uh, your official website is kungli.com, C-U-N-G-L-E.com. You can also be found on Twitter. It's kungli185 on Twitter. Um, do you have a Facebook page also? I wasn't too sure if you did or didn't. Yeah, it's kungli on Facebook. Sir. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you very much for coming on. And again, you know, anytime you want to come back, just send me or Andrea a message. You you got an open door invite. It, w it was a pleasure talking to you, man. Thank you.
Thank you. Have a great uh, have a great night, and uh, thank you very much. We'll, we'll talk soon, man. Take care of yourself. Okay. Bye bye. All right, brother. Thanks. All right, folks, that was Kung Lee. You can follow him on Twitter, twitter.com slash Kung Lee, L-E-185. You can also check out his official website. It's Kung Lee, again, C-U-N-G-L-E dot com. You can get all the information regarding his book and his school on his official site. His book is Kung Lee Sanshu, The Complete Fighting System with Glenn Cordoza. I will be putting that in the show notes on MyTakeRadio.com and in the links as well. You'll also be seeing it on the MTR Rewind, which should be live at some point tomorrow. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and when we get back, we're going to talk some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... (laughs) Well, you won't listen to that on our show because we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, and we're back. Let's talk some wrestling. I would have played a wrestling intro, but I actually took most of the intros off of Blog Talk Radio's site like an ass because I expected to have them working on the iPad. So that was my own mess up. I will make sure to probably put it in post-production, but let's talk some wrestling, shall we? First off, we got, um, and I just noticed that I didn't discuss the Strike Force Diaz and Daily card, but... I, I can't. <laughs> let, let, let's talk some wrestling because there's a lot going on uh, wrestling-wise and want to make sure that we get it all covered this week so I don't get any emails complaining about shit that got left off. Uh, first off, uh, before I discuss any wrestling, I wanted to take a moment and acknowledge the passing of Sweet and Sour Larry Sweeney from Ring of Honor. Uh, he passed away at the age of 29. He was He was considered in a lot of circles as one of the great modern wrestling managers but, of course, he had some demons he was dealing with, including drug problems, depression, um, typical wrestling issues that seemed to hound a lot of the younger talents. He was age, he was 29 years old, and he actually committed suicide, which is fucked up. Um, so definitely I'd like to extend my condolences to his family. Um, I, I've seen Larry Sweeney do work in Ring of Honor. Uh, he, he was a great throwback old school he had a lot of that throwback old school manager vibe to him he he was a great asset in in ring of honor with all the talent that he was involved with and it fucking sucks you know hearing that he passed away at the age of 29 so i'd like to extend my condolences to his family so before i discussed anything wrestling related i wanted to get that out of the way first let's talk about monday night raw monday night raw was for all intents and purposes I really want to say formulaic with the exception of, of a few things. Um, they, they, they started setting up matches for extreme rules. Um, for some reason, they ended up taking it upon themselves to add our truth into con- a contendership slot. A lot of people are saying that he ended up getting the slot because of the issues going on with John Morrison, how legit that is. I couldn't tell you, but 
Um, the worst thing about it is that I don't mind R-Truth being involved in, in, in the main event slot for a pay-per-view. My big issue with R-Truth is that where the fuck has he been? All You know, you go from, from nothing to popping up in a fucking main event. I don't, I don't get the logistics in that. I understand that, you know, John Morrison's on the outs, people, he's pissed off some people with the Molina and the Trish Stratus bullshit, but to put our truth in this type of a slot is, I, again, I don't have an issue with it, but where was the buildup? Where was the, the concern in, in, in storyline continuity? Where was it? It was in the fucking shitter. That's where it was. It's like, oh, yeah, we'll just, we'll just throw this guy in there. Um, Eve Torres and Brie Bella had a, had a nice little women's match. So Brie Bella, shockingly enough, wins the title with a sit-out face buster on Eve Torres. They looked decent in that match. I thought that match was poorly done. Why they put the belt on Brie Bella, couldn't tell you. Because, again, they do nothing. Uh, Sin Cara wrestled on Monday Night Raw with Primo. He's wrestled with Primo on some house shows, and it's been met with mixed responses. I felt that the match seemed a little bit... It didn't seem forced. It just seemed like they just... They didn't mesh well, which is strange considering Primo's background. I know that Miss can vouch for the fact that Primo is a is, is an A-class wrestler, Um and for the fact that, in my eyes, that the match just didn't gel well, a lot of people are saying that this has put a lot of heat on both guys just because, you know, Sincara has been dropping, you know, botching a lot of spots. He still can't get the trampoline entrance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the fuck up with the C4 2000 finishing maneuver was also something that, that raised an eyebrow. Let, let me tell you guys my opinion on the whole thing. Sincara's character, a.k.a. Mystico, is, and yes, I pronounce his name correctly because I am Hispanic and that is my accent. So, don't be freaked out, folks. Yes, it is a minority broadcasting on your radio dial. Um, his character, great fanfare, great build-up, but they're adding too many little things to his character that he doesn't need. You, you know, the whole trampoline situation is just begging for a fuck-up, which has happened already. It's begging for him to get hurt. It's uh, it, it's crazy. It is... Ugh. I don't understand why they go to such great lengths to, to, to fuck this character up. It's like, look, he has a cool gimmick. Kids will like him. Just let him go out there and do his thing. A lot of people are saying that he's not meshing well the quote-unquote WWE style. If the WWE style consists of a fucking trampoline and 17 different fucking arm bars, then you fuckers can keep it. Mystico's style is centered on being a cruiserweight, being a high flyer. How are you going to ground his offense? It's, it's ridiculous. What, you want to ground his offense so he can set up one high spot? Where's the magic in that? He doesn't need... All these props and this bullshit, the guy can get over just on his look and his wrestling ability. Sure, you could shoot Rey Mysterio out of a trap door, but you know what? That, that's not that bad. But you want the guy to springboard off a trampoline over the ring ropes. 
he can catch his leg going over. He can catch an arm going over. He, the, the margin for error is too huge, too fucking huge to, to use a trampoline of all things. It's like, yeah, we're going to gently nudge this trampoline out. What if somebody pushes it too far forward or too far back, and when he goes for that jump, he lands incorrectly, and guess what happens? He fucking injures himself. Guess what? You just injured the talent that you went to such great lengths with vignettes to, to put on board. Way to fuck up. I know that, and I, and I know she's listening. I know Mist, Mist will, will gladly share her take, so I know that if she has a phone close by, she is welcome to, by all means, share her thoughts because it's, it's piss poor what they're doing with his character, and then they're blaming it on him and Primo when they want him to work this, this quote-unquote WWE style. There's nothing wrong with the WWE style when it's in regarding certain wrestlers. But when you're taking a guy who's known as a cruiserweight and a high flyer and you want his offense to consist of punches and fucking kicks, it's stupid. You know, you got you, you need, you know, hurricane runners, you need um octopus stretch, you, you need you know, yeah, you have a couple of kicks in there and a couple of punches, but you need fast ring running off the ropes, you need different splashes, you need different uh different moonsaults. Come on, man. Give, give me a fucking break with this shit. Ugh, fuck you guys with that. And then you blame the performer. Blame the guys that come up with these stupid-ass ideas. I was I was surprised that his debut is, is, you know, has been so piss poor. And then you got your guys complaining that Primo controlled the majority of the match, which was an issue, and, you know, Primo slowed him down a lot. I, uh, it's It's crazy. It's really fucking crazy. The other low point for me was this core situation and the 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 birth of get this Apple Allied People powered by loathing everything you stand for, which is a group comprised of get this Santino, Mark Henry, Daniel Bryan, and Evan Bourne. The it's I am really disgusted. You you know what this reminds me of? That stupid-ass faction called the Union when they were beefing with the corporation in the 90s. I think Ken Shamrock was involved. Mick Foley was involved. All, all these fucking jack-offs were, were, were thrust into this shitty-ass fucking stable. And here's what we did. I hope that this little Apple fiasco was just a joke and not something that's going to be ongoing because it really makes guys like... Daniel Bryan and Evan Bourne look like complete fucking clown shoes with, with, with fucking Mark Henry and Santino. You want to do something with Santino? Let him have his own little comedy gimmick with Kozlov, but don't drag these other guys with you, man. Who, who, who decided that that shit was fucking cool? And then, of course, Morella ate the pin from fucking the Ginger Kid from Heath Slater, which, you know, I, I don't understand why so many people love that guy. I personally think Heath Slater fucking sucks. If anybody can elaborate on what makes the one-man rock band so awesome, I will gladly hear them out. And I've just been informed that Mist is on the line. <laughs> Hello, young Hello. lady. Hi. <laughs> What's going on? You knew on? I was going to do it. You knew I was going to do it. I hate what they do to my cruiserweights and my flyers. Oh, my God. I heard what? you talking about it. 
I've been like arguing with people for the whole week on YouTube because the video for Primo's match, um, everyone's ragging on him, saying like a lot of the botches are him because everybody is kind of high off of what I would call the WWE marketing bandwagon. But if you look at even the house um, house show matches they had, it's the same botches. And it's, it's yep. not, I, I'm not going to say it's like either one specifically, although that trampoline that you were talking about, I don't know whose idea that was, but they should be fired. That is the stupidest, most dangerous, unnecessary thing I've ever seen. Like, of all the ways to send him over the ropes, you come up with a trampoline that I've seen. I saw the, um, what is it, Super Luchas had the um, footage of how that trampoline comes in and out. It's ridiculous. Like, I don't know who's under the ring to push this thing out. But first of all, when they push it out, like, they, it's like you get stuck in the, the what is it, the on the end of the ring. The padding, like yeah, get, on the padding. Yeah. It gets stuck on that. Then they have to, like, work it and maneuver it. And then when he bounces off of it wrong all the time, they have the the ridiculous moment of they can't figure out how to get it back up underneath the ring. So he's going to seriously get hurt jumping on that trampoline, and I don't even understand why it's necessary. Like, you don't see Rey Mysterio coming out and flinging himself in the ring off of a trampoline. Like, what, what, why is that even necessary? Let, just let him come out and, you know, do some pyro. Let him have some kind of great come out, and then that's it. Why, why do we need the trampoline? It's so unnecessary. I but say next far- to shoot that little nigga out of a cannon. <laughs> exactly. Rocket. Uh, <laughs> I think that's like how they decide to do things. Like, let's, you know, he's no. Let's just throw him in the ring. Anyway, but as far as the wrestling, um, Primo's a 15-year vet, so I can understand why he was put to work with Primo because Primo has worked in WWC. I'm obviously a huge Primo Mark, so. <laughs> I know his work, and he can work with, like, anybody. Like, he's very, very versatile. Like, Carlito was not lying when he said Primo, of all of the Colognes, is the best wrestler of their family, even better than their dad. So to put – I can understand why he was put with him. But they've made them so awkward with each other and I guess, like, told them what to do. I don't even think either one of them knows how to deal with each other because – while WWE seems to think every Latino is the same as long as it's Latino and you're spouting Spanish, that is yep. not the case. Puerto Rican wrestling and Mexican wrestling are two entirely different types of animals. You can't Absolutely. just put them. You can't just put them together because you're like, oh well, oh Primo used to be a flyer too. Yeah, but he's not a lucha flyer. Okay, he's a different kind of flyer like do you watch his tapes like that's what i want to i want to ask somebody plus primo was put in fcw for like a year and i would say i think a year and a half they stuffed him in fcw to like completely redo all the things that he's used to doing anyway so even if he was used to doing certain things or knew how to deal he doesn't anymore you spent a year and better, and then now he's been in WWE for almost, what, five years or something like that or something yeah, like that. Five years. It's like, what, four, three or four? Are we on three I or four? I think no, that's four. Probably... I, um, five because he, 
he did the the solo gimmick. Then they put him with Carlito. Then he feuded yeah. with Carlito briefly. Then they put him back together. I think that was when Carlito was wearing the stupid garbage bag pants. Exactly. And, um, yeah, so I, I, I'd say at least he's five years. He's been here almost three or four years, yes. So he's been here long enough that any of the native skills that he had that he could have coped with, he doesn't have them anymore because he hasn't had to use them. They job him out. He doesn't work with other luchadors. He doesn't even work with Ray, WWE's equivalent of such. So how do you expect him just come and call to work with this guy? I really don't understand that. You you deprogram him. And it's true. You deprogram Primo. You turn him into WWE's you know, it's a WWE's version of a of a cruiserweight, and then you expect him to go out there and interact with a guy who's just the same, unlearning his, his lucha libre offense and, and converting it to WWE style. Of course, mm-hmm. it's going to be a fucking train wreck. Yep, and he didn't even get a chance to to deconvert. Primo had a whole year and a half to decom to deconvert in FCW and unlearn everything that he spent years learning. They didn't put this guy in FCW at all. Like, they do nope. put him on the roster, Cole. So, I, you know, <laughs> if it's anyone's fault, it's booking. It's not them. And I don't understand why people are like the dirt sheets are saying there's heat on them. They don't know how to work together. They don't know how to be wrestlers. Like, and this is their fault? These are people. Nope. They're not machines. Well, not so for I nothing. Just, they should have... No, but, but before I let you go, I agree. You should have at least had six weeks of vignettes. You know, mm-hmm. throughout WrestleMania, while those vignettes are being done, he's an FCW learning WWE style. He's enough of a st- of an established performer to learn the WWE style in eight weeks. He can. I, that that was my opinion. Like I I couldn't even understand why they were rushing him to put him on the main roster. I was like, why would you do that? Why not just build him up? And if you're going to do that and put him with Primo then he and Primo should have had some sort of feud angle where they at least spend a couple of weeks, you know, building this up. So they get excited for it. Like, because I know if I was Primo and you had me jobbing for, like, the last two years, I'm not suddenly going to want to hop in the ring and help you push your new star. Like, that's human. Because he was once the new star and they did nothing with him. So, like, I can't really blame him if he doesn't want to hop in this ring and put guys over. Well, here's here's the funny thing for you. You got got Sin Cara come out and and attack Sheamus. Then he pops up on SmackDown and attack a dude on SmackDown. And then they just forget the whole shit happened. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he he didn't do that. Oh, the guy that jumped over the trampoline? Nah, you're seeing nothing happened last week. What the fuck is that? And, and, and the differences between Mexican and Puerto Rican wrestling, the only time we Puerto Ricans wear ski masks usually involve a brown paper and a, and a 45, and please put this money in this bag. And I can say that because I'm Puerto Rican, so anybody that gets their panties in a bunch, don't. <laughs> oh, please, I, no. I Carlito start- says it all the time on his Twitter, that brown paper bag. <laughs> That's right. Come on, man. You you want the guy to go out there and do Lucha Libre wrestling when you damn well know that he forgot all that shit. Yeah, exactly. And it's been a while since he's even done it, so I I really don't understand. And and what you were saying with him attacking Sheamus and attacking people on SmackDown, what babyface attacks just random dudes with no buildup? He doesn't, you don't have him saying anything, so he's not even 
going to explain why he's attacking. Okay, I get these are the heels. He's supposed to attack them, but that's not exactly a face. (laughs) That's not exactly a face trait. Like, what they have him doing is almost heelish. So then you still got the fans confused. Yeah, it's like you attack Seamus. It's like, why why don't you have him going backstage and attacking Josh Matthews? Uh, I mean, uh, walking backstage, Josh Matthews is like, Hey, Sincana, why did you attack Seamus? He could just been like, because he was fucking pasty. I didn't like him. <laughs> like, something. You need something. But it's like, for every one thing they do right, they fuck it up 17 different ways. Yep. I think, and when they're future endeavoring people, they should start future endeavoring more bookers and more creative team and not the yes. talent. Yes. <laughs> because whoever is... Whoever keeps overlooking Zack Ryder, who's another one that I just, I don't understand how WWE doesn't see him, <laughs> that person should be fired, too, because that's another person they just let him fall by the wayside for no reason. Like, have you seen his Long Island True Hollywood stories or whatever? His Z, his Z Long Island stories yeah. are ridiculous. <laughs> well, you know what it is? He has to he has to do something to keep it. Hey, man, it's cold sitting on the fucking bench. You know, he's got to do something to you can only count so many tiles. I, I I don't I just don't WWE and they just they make no sense to me. But that's all I had to say. I just I had to get in on my cruiserweights because you know, like they they're breaking my heart with this. They really are. Hey, that's why I'm glad you called in to share that. It's always uh, it's always nice to have to have your opinion on it because you have certain insight that while I watch a fuckload of wrestling, there's certain things that you watch that. That you, that you have a bit of a, a bit more of a grasp on, so I always learn a little something. So I appreciate the call as always. No problem. So I'm gonna pop off now. I'm gonna go back to listening. <laughs> Got Thank it. You. See you later. Bye. That was Miss Folks. You can read her Miss Soapbox. This week's article was about the uh, differences between WWE NXT and FCW and the talent differences from both brands, including Lucky Cannon from FCW to NXT, the same thing with Titus and Connor O'Brien. So definitely a great read. There's even a couple of YouTube videos in there for note purposes, so I recommend you guys check that out as well. Moving on through the rest of this Raw debacle, like I said, the core versus Apple shit. I better not see this shit next week, or I'm driving to Stanford. Jerry Lawler and Jack Swagger, why is this continuing? Why? Of course, this leads to uh, Lawler getting a rematch with Cole at Extreme Rules if he wins and he can pick the stipulations. Who gives a shit about announcers fighting? No one. Next up, of course, Edge comes out and announces his retirement. Um, it was it was a very sad thing to see. A lot of great tributes afterwards. I was really bummed. To, to hear his career get cut short because of injuries. I will elaborate a little further after I'm done breaking down Raw, letting you know why he's leaving and what the story is with that. I'm also actually writing a piece regarding, you know, my opinions on his career as a fan and, you know, thanking him for his contributions to uh, the world of, of wrestling. He's the, the guy's a great performer. I, I've followed Edge's career all the way from when he was part of the brood to when he was doing a lot of the comedic skits with Christian, including the five-second poses, all the TLC matches he's endured, him winning the uh, World Heavyweight Championship. J- just his his rise has been fantastic to watch. He's had a storied career. 
and I guarantee you at some point he will definitely be a, a future Hall of Famer. His his retirement speech was sad, um, but it, but again, the the camaraderie in, in WWE definitely uh, was shining bright during his re, you know his announcement of retirement. So definitely got to applaud them for that. I also applaud them for the fact of releasing video of you know backstage stuff and he you know Edge will be on SmackDown this week, so I recommend you guys check that out. But overall. You know, definitely sad to see somebody somebody's career cut short by injuries, but he was very smart in deciding to retire and not risk injuring his body. Plus, doctors said that they can't medically clear him to wrestle. So, again, very unfortunate. Um, to close things out for Raw, there was a four-way match with John Cena, Randy Orton, R-Truth, Dolph Ziggler, and John Morrison. Uh, the winner, of course, would be involved in the main event at Extreme Rules. Um, it was, it went double disqualification with, uh, Alex Riley and The Miz interfering. Uh, just a fucking clusterfuck. Of course, there's, you know, The Miz is running his mouth about no number one contender. Turns out that there are now two number one contenders being John Cena and R-Truth, so it will be a triple threat match at the pay-per-view. Again, totally random, including R-Truth. I had no issue with R-Truth. Just, there was no build-up. There was no storyline. There was jack shit involved in that. What happens now? Cena feuds with Truth? Or is is this going to be just a one-off appearance? Who knows? But I tell you this much, R-Truth isn't winning the belt at Extreme Rules, and if, and if they do, it's going to be a complete swerve for everybody. Now, in regards to what happened with Edge, WWE did post an article regarding his, uh, his the reasons for his retirement. Edge had been suffering from numbness and trembling in his arms and hands. These symptoms are from a nervous system disorder called neuropraxia. Uh, the same issues he had experienced before when he had his neck fusion surgery a few years back. He had an MRI done on Monday and they diagnosed that he had stenosis of the spine, which is a narrowing of the spinal cord due to the abuse that his body has taken since coming back from neck fusion surgery. This continued abuse comes from doing a lot of bumps, and continuing bumps would have resulted in further injuries, including the possibility of paralysis. With pretty much him and Alberto Del Rio almost a lock for meeting in a ladder match at Extreme Rules, you know that this would not have ended well, and I applaud him for taking, putting his health first and acknowledging that, you know, it was time for him to protect his body and step away from the business. But that's some serious shit. Imagine, you know, while there are many fans that were bummed about it, just just think of the possibility. And, and I just want to put that out there for, for all the All right, good old Blog Talk Radio or Skype decided to uh, drop the call, so I apologize for that. As I was saying before we got cut off, the the issue with Edge was particularly, you know, heartbreaking because, you know, the guy was young, he had his his whole life ahead of him, but he's protecting himself, and I applaud him for that. One thing that, like I said, I wanted wrestler, uh, wrestling fans and listeners to think about is the fact that imagine if, he hadn't been diagnosed with this yet, and he had gone on to compete in extreme rules and injured himself and, and suffered paralysis or, or another type of, you know, life-threatening injury. It, it, it's, it's crazy that they caught it so quick. A lot of people were asking why he performed at WrestleMania. 
Um, he was allowed to perform at WrestleMania because the MRI he had done was done after WrestleMania, and that's when all of this came to light. I'm sure that had this been his last, you know, had WrestleMania been the last match and WWE would have known about it, they would have gone out of their way to acknowledge it as something special. Like I said, I guarantee Edge being a lock for the Hall of Fame, possibly next year or the year after, with rumors especially that um, the WrestleMania after the one in Miami would be in Toronto and that he would go in the Hall of Fame. It's it's a it's a fitting end to a to a storied career, you know, being success a successful title defender at WrestleMania. I, I wish him nothing but the best, and I hope that he's able to um, provide something further to the wrestling business. I mean, he's gotten a lot of tributes. A lot of people said he had a great mind for the business. So I, I look forward to seeing where he goes from there. But odds are he should take some time off and and relax a bit and then figure it out. So I just want to say. Thanks, Edge, for all the great wrestling memories. Last bit of wrestling news to close things out. Kurt Angle announced on his Twitter page that he signed a new deal with TNA. He writes, to all my fans and friends, I'm signing a new deal with TNA. We're working out the kinks, but I'm staying. So please tune in every Thursday night. I gave it much thought. TNA is the underdog. I feel I can help them go to the next level. WWE is the top company, but being the face of TNA is great. TNA has so much potential. I believe in TNA. I love Dixie Carter, and I am staying. TNA wants to help me in the movies and with Angle Foods. TNA is it. While I am glad that Kurt Angle's not beating up his body 300-plus days a year, to say that you're the face of TNA right now is not not 100% true. The face of TNA right now is fucking Hulk Hogan. When you look at a when you look at a trailer, as a matter of fact, if you watch the preview for this week's Impact, and they show the the graphic at the end, it's Hogan in front of that graphic. Not you, not AJ Styles, not Anderson, Hogan. If you were the face of TNA, I'd expect to see you at the end of every at the end of every video clip. Where the fuck are you, the face of TNA? You're feuding with fucking Jeff Jarrett, for God's sakes. You're feuding with Jeff Jarrett and your ex-wife. It sounds like an episode of fucking Divorce Court. You know, I, I, I respect Kurt Angle. I'm a fan of his. He, he's, a, he's a great performer. He's a great wrestler. Um, he's actually in the new film, in the new movie Warrior, coming out. Again, I, I respect him, and I respect his accomplishments in the ring. But sometimes, dude... You 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 talk some bullshit. You you are not the face of TNA. You were the face of TNA when you came in and you headbutted Samoa Joe in the face and you had that great series of matches. You were the face of TNA when you were head of the main event mafia. Then you were the face of TNA. Now you play second banana to fucking Hulk Hogan's crippled ass. And the fact that I'm hearing that he's contemplating getting back in the ring. Anybody who, who who steps in the ring with Hogan and can say with a straight face that they will take a Hogan leg drop and a big boot should get their nuts cut off. Seriously. There's no necessity for his ass to get back in the ring. Sting, Kurt Angle, they re-signed with TNA for what? To play second banana? To fucking cr- crippled Hogan? Come on, man. Give me a fucking break with that shit. Then, you know, Christopher Daniels, I heard, I don't know how legit this is. I've heard that it's pretty legit. 
he actually left uh, TNA. He was in Ring of Honor, and he approached WWE about a possible job. They didn't take him. A lot of speculation regards the, is in regards to the fact that they didn't take him because he was too small. Some people believe that he wasn't taken because he's 40 years old. It, look, we, I had a whole big Twitter debate about this. A guy like Christopher Daniels would help elevate your roster only because he's experienced and sure he's 40 years old, but how many legit hardcore injuries has Christopher Daniels had where it's hindered his wrestling ability? Somebody please tell me. Oh, the 300, uh, the 300 schedule, the, the 300 day schedule would definitely change that. Sure it would, but you know what? I'd rather Christopher Daniels on my fucking screen than a, a, a fucking a, a mook like like this guy, like fucking human Ken doll, like Drew McIntyre. I'm I'm sorry. It's just it, the you know the debates with regards to that were they extended at least fifty tweets with regards to to that particular thing. I just felt that Daniels would have done good in in, in WWE, especially with his wrestling acumen and his his high degree of of, of high flying talent, but. He goes to TNA. Yeah, he's part of Fortune right now. He he may. I, I almost have a feeling he's going to turn on Fortune at the pay per view and possibly feud with AJ Styles upon his return. Who knows? But I just smell a fucking setup. But that that that's that's a rant for a whole other broadcast. All right, that actually wraps up the wrestling news for this week. I actually have a couple of things I want to discuss with regards to gaming. And we will be doing that right after this. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? Let's talk some video games. That actually came off. Of, that actually came off of the iPad. <laughs> Hopefully, it sounded good and nobody is deaf. All right. Let's talk some video games, shall we? Shall we? I actually, before I go into all the video game news, I want to talk about something that has been running rampant the last few days. Well, it's a combination of two things. Number one is the possibility of a Wii price drop, which I mentioned on the our Facebook fan page. There are rumors that the Wii may possibly be dropping to $149 on May 15th, right before E3. Furthering this speculation is the rumors that at E3, Nintendo will be unveiling a new Nintendo console. A couple of reasons why I have issue with this. Why would you want to go and release this console 
or announce this console so quickly after dropping the price of your existing console. If you drop it to 150 bucks, everybody's going to pick it up at that point. And from there, they'll probably exhaust their inventory, then make a formal announcement. I don't think that they're going to do a price drop and then announce a new console, which allegedly is supposed to come out in 2012. It doesn't make any sense. I think at this point, it's, it's just silly that they would go this route. Will the price drop happen? Yeah, I guess so. I think they'll definitely go that route. But I don't think that they'll be announcing a new console at E3. I, I just don't believe it. And, and, a, and a, a hundred sites devoted tons of articles to it today. Oh, there's going to be a new Wii, the Wii HD. It's going to be more powerful than the 360. It's going to be more powerful than the PS3. Blah, blah, blah. Ugh. Look, if a new console is going to come out, Nintendo's not going to shoot themselves in the foot with the 3DS and then a price drop for the Wii, and then announce a completely new console. I just don't see it happening that way. I actually think that they'll probably drop the price of the Wii because the 3DS is $249. So I think they just want to add a little bit of space between, between, the, pricing, the, between the pricing models. Not only that, but and, – and Dark Helmet brings up a great point in the chat – before you put out a Wii, how about putting out fucking games? Games would be fantastic, wouldn't they? What sense is it that you announce a new console and you don't even put out that many games for your existing hardware? Yeah, the 3D, even the 3DS. The 3DS has a really shitty launch lineup. I'm sorry. It does. In my eyes, it really does. It doesn't validate a $250 expenditure when there's two titles that you actually want to play and no first-party titles. The fuck is that? They're high off their ass. But I figured I would open up with that first, and I'm, I'm sure that Slick will call in at some point and share his wisdom with in regards to that. I honestly feel that a new Wii console or a new Nintendo console at any point is not going to be announced at E3. It's not. I think that the Wii still has potential. They just need to invest more time and energy into releasing more games. That's it. In some other gaming news, uh, a game I hadn't heard a lot, I haven't heard a lot about in a long time. It's actually getting a new entry. That game is Harvest Moon. The new game is going to be Harvest Moon, The Tale of Two Towns, and it's going to be simultaneously released on the DS and the 3DS. Why? But on both? I have no fucking idea. The game, which is going to be available this summer, will focus on two towns that have a rivalry over food. Players will try to bring a truce between Konohana, a crop-loving town, and Bluebell, the meat town. Again, I have no problem with a new Harvest Moon game. But a DS game and a 3DS game? Why not just fucking release it on the 3DS? Ugh. I don't know. Definitely not not too sure about the this dual platform release for for handheld titles on the Nintendo side of things. I'm really not sure where they're going with this, but hey, they're making money so they must be doing something right. Now, every couple of weeks I always announce some sort of a bundle that's coming out. 
that's either borderline ridiculous or ridiculously expensive. We are in in line for another one, actually. And that is one for the game Dirt, well, Dirt 3, that is, which is going to have a $299 bundle. The bundle is going to come with a 116th scale replica of the Ken Block Gymkhana Fiesta car. So it's going to come with a with a 116th scale replica model of a car with the game, and the bundle is 300 bucks. No one is going to buy it. You know where I see that bundle being? $79.99 in six weeks at a Best Buy. Because you walk into Best Buy now, you see Halo Reach bundles for $69. Hell, if you go to your local GameStop, you can get your DJ Hero 2 bundle for $30. So no one is going to pay $299 for, for, for a Dirt 3 bundle. It's fucking ludicrous. Anybody that does that needs to be kicked right in the balls. And if it's a girl, she needs to get kicked right in the box too. Fuck it. Equal opportunity kicks for everybody. Absurd. $300. They're insane. They're fucking insane. <sighs> for my RPG-loving listeners, White Knight Chronicles 2 is coming to North America. D3 Publishing announced that the sequel, which was originally slated for Europe, will be coming stateside this summer. The game will have the new game plus a remastered version of the original. Unlike the Japanese version, though, players won't have to start at the beginning of the series and can start at the beginning of the sequel if they desire. In some Call of Duty Black Ops, Black Ops news, they got the Escalation downloadable content dropping on May 3rd. The content is going to have four multiplayer maps, Convoy, Zoo, Stockpile, and Hotel, along with one zombie map. Of course, due to their exclusivity agreement with Microsoft, the 360 version will be coming out before the PlayStation 3 and PC versions. In some Capcom Captivate news, there's going to be a Dead Rising 2 remake titled Dead Rising 2 Off the Record. The game will allow you to use Frank West in place of Chuck Green inside Fortune City. The game will give you new missions, new enemies, and new weapons, along with a brand new Fortune City attraction to explore. The update will also enhance the save system and the co-op experience, and you'll be able to pick that up this fall on the 360, PS3, and the PC. I'm assuming that the lukewarm response to Dead Rising 2 and the... the it seems that a, a lot of gamers have a lot of love for Frank West has made Capcom decide to go this route. I don't know how well it'll be received. I think that a lot of people are going to be a little pissed that they didn't just add Frank West in the game and give you the opportunity of playing two different campaigns with both characters. <sighs> I already see it. I see Cass is in the chat, and she is not none too thrilled. Her exact words, and I quote, are same crappy games and new characters you don't want to save. I think that many other gamers will be feeling the same way. In some other Nintendo news, they actually announced a new Wii Play today. It's going to be called Wii Play Motion. That's going to be coming out June 13th. You're going to be getting a Wii Remote Plus, and it'll also come bundled with 12 mini games for Wii owners to try out. In addition to that, the Nintendo also announced a release date for Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time 3D for the 3DS. You'll be able to get that June 19th in North America. Cave Story 3D will be picked up on June 28th. And in a bit of news that everybody kind of saw coming a mile away, 
Super Street Fighter Arcade Edition will be released in North America this June. You will have the option of purchasing the game as a downloadable content purchase or as a standalone disc. The content will add Yoon, Yang, Evil Ryu, and Oni, as well as work on balancing issues, new costumes, and a plethora of new online features. A free update will also allow players that don't get the new version to, get, to play against people who do have it. The content is going to be available June 7th for $14.99 on Xbox Live and the PlayStation Network, and the disc versions will be available later that month for the PS3, 360, and PC. Which raises the question, what are you guys going to pick that up on, the PS3 on console or on DLC? I will be putting that as a Facebook question on our fan page, so feel free to share your thoughts on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash mytakeradio, and I think I actually said Facebook. Don't mind me in using the Sean Connery accent there. That was just a slip of the tongue. Capcom, with the success of Street Fighter Arcade Edition, of course, and that announcement took the opportunity to share with us that Super, well, Super Street Fighter 4 3DS has shipped over a million units worldwide. Keep in mind, it hasn't sold that many, but it's probably close to that. It's it shipped a million units, but I definitely know it's not a million unit sales value. It's not a million unit sales title yet. And because MPD wants to hide their numbers, I wouldn't be able to share that with you guys, even if it were true. Capcom has some other 3DS titles dropping this year, including Mega Man Legends 3, and you got two Resident Evil titles as well, uh, Mercenaries 3D and Revelations are also going to be dropping on the 3DS real soon. For my listeners that are Connect users and like to watch Netflix, guess what? You'll be able to use the Connect with Netflix. The update is going to let players control Netflix in two ways. You'll be able to go online and browse your library and launch Netflix also from the Connect hub. You'll be able to select your recommended titles using voice or hand gestures as the remote control as the remote control. I think it's kind of cool. I just feel that the the implementation of that has been a little lackluster. I've heard some people already saying that they have some issues and don't like the fact that it's only limited to recommended titles. How many people really give a shit about that and how many people are going to sit there and say open Netflix, play um National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when you can just as easily click a button for Netflix and click a button for the movie you want. I don't really see where the use of voice and motion have, have any relevance when it comes to Netflix. Uh, if anybody out there can explain it to me, by all means, I will gladly hear your opinion. I just feel that it's just another way to get the connect out there and find another way for it to be used. All right. I'm going to take a quick commercial break because we just wrapped up the game news and we are going into some movie news. Right after this. The following advertisement is for VaughnStubbornRadio.com. VaughnStubbornRadio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. The Born Stubborn Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting. And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck shape, man. <laughs> Rick loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. 
Are you sure you like the show? Yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, in the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you go, get it! Have good mosh feeding. talk some movies. Box office totals are going to open it up this week. Hop number one, once again for the second straight weekend, the live-action animated family film grossed $21.6 million in its second weekend, had a bit of a drop at 42%. The film has a domestic total of $68.1 million and a worldwide total of 74.9. Film had a budget of $63 million. They are starting to turn a profit. Russell Brand's Arthur, I can't believe anybody paid fucking money for that. They should be shot. Opened with a disappointing $12.6 million. Yes! The comedy remake of the 1980s Dudley Moore film opened in 3,276 theaters, and the film had a $40 million budget. Please continue to shove that piece of shit further down the box office totem pole, because it sucked. Hannah opened at number three. It's been getting really solid reviews, and I actually do want to see it. With uh, $12.3 million, it um, had a $30 million budget. I see it definitely meeting that $30 million mark and possibly even turning quite a profit. Soul Surfer opened at number four with $11.1 million. It had an $18 million budget. Uh, Insidious, pretty good, $9.7 million. Slight drop, 27%. It's... uh, a $27.1 million budget, and the budget, the uh, 21.70, what a fuck up and a half that is, 27.1 million total off of a $1.5 million budget. So this movie has definitely turned a huge profit. Your Highness opened pretty poorly, actually, at number six with, uh, wow, $9.5 million on a $50 million budget. Source code dropped five spots to number seven with $9.1 million. Film is doing good, though. It had a $28.6 million total and a worldwide total of $34.3 million in two weeks. And that, my friends, is on a $32 million budget. So Matt Damon, not Matt Damon, um, Jake Gyllenhaal puts asses in seats. I can't believe I I confused those two, but you know what? Sometimes that shit happens. Diary of a Wimpy Kid dropped five spots to number nine in its third week. It's $4.9 million thus far. It's generated a $45.5 million total with a $21 million budget, so we will be seeing more Diary of a Wimpy Kid films in our future. The Lincoln Lawyer slipped to number five in its fourth week. That's $4.6 million. 
It's made 46.5 domestically, 51.4 worldwide, and the film had a budget of $10 million, so it, it's turned a bit of a profit. In some other news, and I know a lot of you had expressed your displeasure on the in our Facebook fan page, they had announced that Michael Shannon from, you may actually see him in Boardwalk Empire, will be portraying General Zod in Zack Snyder's new Superman film titled The Man of Steel. Snyder said the following, Zod is not only one of Superman's most formidable enemies, but one of the most significant because, of he, has, because he has insights into Superman that others don't. Michael is a powerful actor who can project both the intelligence and the malice of the character, making him perfect for the role. The cast, of course, is comprised thus far of Henry Cavill, Amy Adams as Lois Lane, Diane Lane, and Kevin Costner as Martha and Jonathan Kent. Michael Shannon recently received a, an Academy Award for his work on Revolutionary Road, and you can see him, as I said, in Boardwalk Empire. His next film is going to be Take Shelter. I see Slick is calling, and I am sure he is going to express his displeasure with the uh, General, Zod, General Zod use in the Superman film, and I'm sure he has a couple of things to add to that as well. Slick, what's going on, my friend? What's up, man? All right, it's, it's like, how many fucking Superman movies do we have to fucking see with Lex Luthor and then General Zod and then Luthor and then Zod? It's like, shit has been done before. Can somebody tell Hollywood that Superman has more than two fucking villains in his rogues gallery? This is true. I'm like, okay, it's Superman for a new generation, but everybody's fucking seen General Zod. Nobody's impressed by a bad guy with Superman's powers. No, they're really not. It's been done before, man. It's it's, it's over. I mean, you you have the freaking, the Richard Dyer film that you can watch. Fucking, you've seen Zod like 8 million different forms in Smallville. We don't need to see him again. You know, I think that the, what what's happening with the Superman films, and, and I actually am not surprised that they went this route. They want to go with the safer characters. This is what happens when, when directors and, and the studio aren't really taking risks. One of the things that made Batman begin so good was the fact that they went a little bit riskier. They gave Batman more of a realistic edge. You know, they, they, hey, a guy with money that has nothing better to do can buy all this stuff, and he can become a vigilante. Same well, rules this apply. Is the thing. I'm sorry, go ahead, man. What I was going to say is the same rules apply. You know, with Superman, it's like you got to take some risks. I think that with Superman, he's such a safe character that any slight tweaks upset the establishment. When they decided to change his costume for Superman Returns, people bitched and bitched and bitched and bitched and bitched. And, of course, the storytelling in that movie was fucking abysmal for a, a multitude of reasons. I think that when they're going back to the lab, they're like, all right, let's take the shit that works. Lex Luthor... Superman, Zod. I, I, I know you're going to say that Darkseid makes a good character. Hell, I'd like to see Bizarro. Bizarro would be a great tortured soul of a character that you can do a lot with. You can even add Mr. Mitzelplik for comic relief. But to continuously 
recycle those same two characters, Luthor and Zod, it, it, it is a disservice to the character, and it doesn't allow you to expand on the mythology of Superman, which is pretty extensive, and he has a lot more characters. You're right. I was going to mention Darkseid, but I, I have a reason behind it, and it's actually going with Hollywood's mentality because, I mean, you mentioned Hop, which I thought was a pretty good movie, but they fucked it in the ass because instead of going for a story that could, you know, wind up being like the children's classic, they decided, no, we want to just, you know, make this as merchant merchandisable as possible. Of course. It's like the, commer- the commercials you see on TV, that's like 2% of the freaking story. Of course. In the in the immortal in the immortal words of yogurt, merchandising, merchandising, because that's all it fucking is. It, it, it's it's you know with Zod's character, it's we take this guy, boom, instant toy. Lex Luthor, let's just take X Y Z doll, make him bald, boom, there's your Lex Luthor. When from a merchandising standpoint, kids only want to play with Superman and his seventeen different varieties that they that they're going to release. You know, Superman that breaks chains, Superman that goes into a into a phone booth, Superman with a half-open shirt and broken glasses. You know, it's it's ludicrous that that's how they look at things, but like I said, it's Hollywood playing it safe. The involvement of Darkseid would be fantastic, but I think that Darkseid's character fuck, that requires at least half of a first movie and an entire second movie to set up. Just because his character is what I'm saying. From a merchandising standpoint, Darkseid is the best character to do because you got you need a three movie build up for Darkseid. Movie one, Inter Gang, and you know, throw in somebody like Bizarro and Mr. Flick because you don't need a whole movie for them if you wanna just go with like, you know, classic Bizarro, like Bizarro World and shit. And Mr. Plick, you know, he fucks around with him for a while. He gets him to say his name backwards. Boom, he's gone. You got Intergang as the main, you know, the main character fucking shit up while he's, you know, fighting smaller bad guys. Then second movie, you have, you throw in, like, Calabac or something. You start getting real deep with it where, you know, characters from Apocalypse start coming around and fuck really causing problems. And at the end of that movie, you know, you see Darkseid's face. In the last movie, you got your big fight with Superman and Darkseid. Fucking trilogy, fucking merchandising, fucking triple payday. (laughs) You You know a character that a lot of people let go under the radar that I actually think would be good for that too? Mongol. Yeah, because, you know, you got, you know. Mongol Mongol would be a great setup. Mongol would be a great setup. No, what I was saying was Mongol would be a great setup, and if you want to go with Zod, definitely have him. You you can actually do, and, and this actually can elaborate on what you were saying with the trilogy. You have Zod be the setup man. Lex Luthor is the setup man. He brings Zod in. Zod is like, you know, we have to weaken Kal-El so that he can be destroyed by, you know, the higher power. You know, the the great, the big setup. You bring Mongol in for the second one, and you know he's the the harbinger of destruction for our for you know. And you can you can you know tweak it a little bit and say that you know Mongol is the herald for Darkseid. And then boom, there's your Darkseid 
at the end. The payday is there. You get all those characters on screen. Hell, you can get some of those lower-tier characters like Parasite in the current Superman movies just by having them in there. You know, hey, Superman's whooping this purple guy's ass in scene three. Oh, look, it's Parasite. And, and you don't have to go crazy with acknowledging all the characters, but you can add subtle hints in there that will allow people to be like, oh, wow, they actually did their homework. But again, they're being very, very safe. And it's because Superman is such, and, and I hate to say it, he really is a vanilla fucking character. It's only when you delve deep into his, his rogues that you can see that there's more to him than just blue tights and a fucking cape and a super-powered dog. But it's like, it's like take take the um, the Star Wars movies. You take the lightsaber fights in the original trilogy, and when we first saw them, they were badass. They're still really good, but when you compare them to like what they do now, they kind of look they they look fresh. They, they look dumb. dated. Yeah, they look dated. That's true. It's like there's no jumping around, no flipping. It's like freaking two knights in armor having a fucking sword fight. Yeah, well, that, that's what happens. The it's it's the safety in filmmaking. Like Star Wars, you know, George Lucas, for as much as he fucking makes movies to make merchandise money, there's a lot of risk involved. Even Avatar, for 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 it being Fern Gully 2.0 and all this shit, there's a lot of huge risk involved. You're taking a movie with made with brand new technology and bringing it to the masses. And sure, it's a cookie cutter formula, but it's the risk that was involved in bringing that to screen that you have to respect. Zack Snyder did a fantastic job with 300. You know, even with Sucker Punch, for, for as much as people shit on the movie, that's a huge risk, taking a movie with zero source material and original concept and bringing it to the silver screen. It's not always going to be solid gold, but it sets the precedent in terms of special effects and, you know, ideas that people can look at. One thing that you know, Kung Lee mentioned in his interview was taking taking the uh, like the martial arts genre as an example and doing something epic and something huge. Superhero movies need to continue doing that. You can't just fall back into that same formulaic mold that's been done time and time again. All that it ends up doing is sullying the product and ruining a character that nobody's going to want to touch. Because if this Superman movie don't make no dough, we're not going to see another movie for a long time. Exactly, and that's exactly why I'm saying, you know, hey, here's an idea. Let's try something different since the old formula ain't working. Nope. I mean, you take Superman, the original Superman 2. Again, while it was a great movie, while you could watch it today and love it to death, by comparison to what you see today, the fight between Superman and... Zod's, Zod's crew, they're boring. I mean, if you have a fight with Superman and anybody who's nearly as powerful as him, you want to see something along the lines of, you know, what you used to see in the old Justice League cartoons. Point in yep. case, one of the, the, the final episodes of the series of Justice League Unlimited, where, he, where Superman thought that um, Darkseid they killed Batman. He went ape shit on him. And he oh started, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, Beat him like, like he stole I something. A, I get a real opportunity to really cut loose with you. And he hit him so hard, he freaking like knocked him through two buildings. 
that's the type of fight that would really sell a Superman movie. Can't really do that with Lex Luthor now, can you? Even you if can. you put him I, in a palace, you really can't do that. But you know what the worst thing is? They haven't even taken the gamble of putting him in a power suit. Like, you would think they would have fucking done that. It's like... It's like I'm I'm human and I'm tired of this uh, of this blue boy scout whooping my ass. Oh, let me just jump in this cuz I'm a scientific evil genius and whoop Superman's ass. No, let's not do that. Let's just make, you know, Lex Luthor con old ladies out of their fucking money and try to make islands out of kryptonite. Let's just make the US Virgin Islands out of kryptonite and Superman can't visit there. That's your storyline? Are you fucking kidding me? You want Superman to end up like Natalie Holloway? Get the fuck out of here. You're not allowed on my island. You're, you're going to die here. Like, what the fuck, man? How does that happen? Who, who, who decided that that was cool? Hey, I'm going to blow a super-powered load into Lois Lane and make a kid with an emo haircut that happens to kill henchmen with a piano. Ugh. That's okay. Oh, yeah, Lois Lane is a single mom. Yeah, no problem. Cyclops is the fucking, the surrogate baby daddy. Yeah, no problem with that shit. Oh, look, I prison, prison rape. Yeah, no problem with that either. Oh, yeah, look, I have kryptonite stabbed in my body, and I'm just magically going to use willpower and positive thinking to will myself out of death because that's what I do because I'm Superman. Oh, fuck you. You know what I mean? Like, like there's no... Superman is such a fucking easy character to fuck up that, that it, it just boggles my mind. Like, like if I were, if I were in, in, in a studio and they came in and they go, hey, Rich, we got this Superman project. Zack Snyder's going to direct it. I'd be like, all right, pitch it to me. And he'd go, yeah, we're going to do all this and Zod's going to be in it and blah, blah. I'd be like, are you changing the costume? Oh, well, I was thinking maybe making the cave shorter. You're fired. That's how that would go. No. We were thinking that Lex Luthor, you know, he really should just be this guy that cons old ladies out of risk. You're fired. Oh, I was wondering if maybe Superman could partner up with Crypto the Superdog and Streaky the Get the fuck out of my office. You know what I mean? Like, there's nobody out there that respects the mythos of comic books to even look at that. Nobody, nobody respects that mythology. They're just like, fuck it, slap an S on it, let's get paid. Hey, look, we can make a sippy cup and charge $7 for it with an S on it. Great, let's do it. Keep making sippy cups, motherfuckers. It's, I don't understand how you fuck up a character like Superman that's easy. Easy. You can fuck up Batman by putting nipples on his costume and, and making a Hungarian guy Mr. Freeze. You can fuck it up by making Bane look like a water balloon with a ski mask on. You can do all that, but you know what? That can be undone. Superman, you fuck up, and it's like nobody forgets those fuck-ups. I just recited Superman Returns verbatim with all the fuck-ups. Exactly. With all the fuck-ups. Like there was no... You need a freaking Lex Luthor to walk into that, that brainstorming office where they decide what they're going to do with the movie, have him, like, shoot everybody and say, listen, you see these movies right here, these animated movies like Superman, Batman, Apocalypse? You see this fucking fight with Superman and Supergirl and Darkseid beating the living shit out of each other for 15 minutes? That's what people will pay to fucking see. 
Do right. something like that, and I guarantee you a fucking hit. Well, you know what the worst part is? They spend way too much time trying to recreate the magic of the Christopher Reeve movies. Those movies work the way they worked because it was a different time, we were in a different climate, and shit worked. You know, you can't hire a, an A-class actor to impersonate somebody to impersonate Gene Hackman. You can't. You have to make Alex Luthor your own character. Like, not for nothing, you look at Lex Luthor in, in, in the Superman cartoons where, you know, you, were, in, you had to blink and ask yourself if Lex Luthor was black. <laughs> you know the cartoons I'm talking about where Lex Luthor was fucking brown and shit. I'm like, yo, when the fuck did Lex Luthor have the same color tone as Sackboy? When did that happen? So that Lex Luthor, he was smooth, he was suave, and he had no problem getting his hands dirty. And that's the kind of Lex Luthor you need. You don't need the fucking crazy, <laughs> I'm going to be silly, you know. Oh, my God, Superman's going to save you. I'm counting on it. It's like, when, when, did that, when did that need to happen? When did I need to hear Kevin Spacey yelling, no, to have any sort of weight? One of the things that Terrence Stamp did so well as Zod in the second movie was not try to outact Christopher Reeve. He said, I'm a smug motherfucker that has the same powers as you, and I got two other fuckers here that will whoop your ass. That's what made Terrence Stamp work as Zod. If they do the same thing in this Superman movie, it'll work. But it can't just be Superman and Zod for, an hour, for, for two hours and 15 minutes, because it's going to suck ass. You've got to really have the Lex Luthor vibe in there, even if it's a little bit... Don't overload the movie with it, but you can't have him and Zod for fucking two hours. That shit's going to get old. I hit you with a building. I hit you with a school bus. I'll hit you with a gas truck. I'll hit you with a fire engine. Boring. And if they're going to bring back Lex Luthor, they might as well just, I mean, as much as I love Kevin Spacey, uh, didn't work too well. Hey, here's an idea. Michael Rosenbaum. He makes a good Lex Luthor. That motherfucker don't want no money. Let me tell you something, and I'm about to go on a Smallville rant. Let me, let, me, let me clue a lot of my listeners in on something. All these motherfuckers, from the, the cast on Smallville to the assholes from the Spider-Man movies, oh, I don't want to be doing this character for the rest of my life. I want to do other things. What the fuck do you want to do? What the fuck has Tom Welling done lately? You know what he could probably do? A Pert Plus commercial with his wavy hair. What the fuck is he doing? Michael Rosenbaum, oh, I can't do Lex Luthor. There, there has to be a... What are you doing, bald guy? What are you doing? What, are, are people beating down your door at this moment, fish face? What is Kristen Krueger doing? Oh, I can't play Lana Lang anymore because I want to play, you know, fucking yeah, whitewashed Chung Lee. I want to play whitewashed Chung Lee because, you know... I can't be pigeonholed in this character. Give me a fucking break. What are you assholes doing? Oh, I can't be Spider-Man anymore. I want to go and work on other films. What are you going to do, another Seabiscuit movie? Is that what you're going to do? Are you going to play a, a, a psychotic brother to Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, that went over really well. What is Kristen Dunst doing? Being buck-toothed and ugly like she always is. <laughs> Nothing. You need a special effects budget just to make that bitch look good. Get the fuck out of here, all these assholes. 
oh, I don't want to do that anymore. It makes me sound, it makes me look stupid. Motherfucker, you are getting paid. There shouldn't have been a casting call for fucking Superman. Hey, Tom Welling, here are the fucking tights in the cape. Do something about it. That's what you do, motherfucker. Hey, asshole, you want to make $15 million? Put on this blue spandex and this fucking cape. Seriously, what the fuck is he doing? What is he doing? Look at his IMDb profile and please tell me if he is doing anything remotely interesting. Anything. Tell me, please, somebody. Look at his shit and tell me if he's doing anything. I guarantee you he is doing jack and shit. And Michael Rosenbaum is doing nothing but fucking trying to make sure that his hair can grow in so he can get a job. Yeah, I actually had IMDb up, and I pulled up Tom Welling. It says Smallville, and before that, it says Cheaper by the Dozen, too. So he hasn't done a different project in six years, and he's not doing anything after that as of right now. So so let me get this straight, and, and, and you know, let, let me just wrap my head around this. You're ending Smallville. You're ending it, and they're filming a new Superman movie, and you are doing nothing! Uh, that like, sums it up. How does that happen? Uh, hey, I'm leaving Smallville. Hey, what are you going to do, Tom, after this? Eh, I don't know. Maybe just go home and collect my millions from syndication. All right, that's great. But what else are you going to do? Eh, nothing. Look at my fan sites on the Internet dedicated to Tom Welling is dreamy.com. That's what I'm going to do and collect my syndication money. Get fuck you. Not to say that Henry Cavill ain't going to do a good job, but what are you doing? What are you doing? You end the movie, you put on the fucking jumpsuit, and then you go, Superman will return soon. And leave it at that. That's how you end Smallville. You make the fucking movie and start collecting that money. Because all those Smallville fangirls, oh, my God, Tom Willing is so hot. Boom, right into the fucking movie theater. That's how that shit works. But no, instead they recycle the movie, and people are going to hate me for this, but, you know, you keep running the same fucking show. The, you, you keep trying to recapture the, the magic of the Christopher Reeve Superman, and guess what you get? You get a product Nothing. that's just as crippled as Christopher Reeve was in his late life. Bravo. That's what I'm fucking talking about. Yes. You see what I'm saying? You acknowledge it for exactly what it is. Christopher Reeve is and and always will be Superman. Sure, yep. he you know when he was in a wheelchair, he did a he did a really great HBO flick that was really badass. And I was like, damn, motherfuckers that that are on two legs should be ashamed that a guy in a wheelchair can outact them. He he was in a class by himself, but he will always be Superman. Dean Kane. Dean Reeves outacted Tom Welling in fucking Smallville, and he played a crippled scientist. Dude, fucking a, a, a mime can outact Tom Welling, but at least Tom Welling has a built-in fan base that can transition easily to the silver screen. That's what I. That's what I don't understand. That, that you know, certain things. Yeah, we don't want to do that, but. Why, you, you have the tools in place. Just, just, you know, just progress a little further. Take the characters you have. I bet you Tom Welling would have fucking gotten a cheaper payday. But, you know, he's like, oh, I don't want to do it, man. 
I want to I want to have wavy hair and sit around all day and take pictures for allure. Get the fuck out of here, man. Uh, I can't I can't dedicate that much time to it. I'm done. Anything else to add, my friend? Man, I think we pretty much hit it on the head. Well, you know what? Before I let you go, I'm going to jump to a piece of news that I'm sure you're going to love. They, I told you a couple of weeks back they were remaking The Crow, right? Now, this new remake is going to be released, is going to be directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, who did 28 Weeks Later. And, of course, it's going to focus on the Eric Draven Crow, which was played by Brandon Lee. That's all good. You know who, they're, who they have rumored to play the part of The Crow? Who? Bradley fucking Cooper. You're the cricket. Let me tell you something about Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper is—he's he's a good—he's a decent actor. He's a good actor, but the crow is like a symbol for emo kids everywhere. <laughs> And Bradley Cooper is the furthest thing from emo. Bradley Cooper is to emo what Miley Cyrus is to goth. Non-existent. But Bradley Cooper is your crow. But 10 pounds of makeup can't take away from the fact that it's like, look at, look at Bradley Cooper's manly chin. You know, it's like, it's like that motherfucker, he, you know, he can play anything else but this. In love He'd with make- your G.I. Joe's Channing Tattle. Yeah, why not? Well, that motherfucker's playing Peter Pan, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? Like, there's certain guys that you just, they just don't gel well. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Brandon Lee had leading man good looks, and but he, he made the character his own. Even if you put long, shaggy hair on Bradley Cooper and white clown makeup, it's still Bradley Cooper in white clown makeup, you know? Like, it's not The Crow. It's, you know, you know, chisel chin with, 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 with clown makeup on. Oh, my God. But I figured I'd run that by you because I know you, you would appreciate the beauty in that. Wait, did they do, like, 15 fucking Crow sequels already? Why did they make another movie? I think one of the Crow sequels had fucking Edward Furlong in it. Oh, God. And, and I think another one had Mark DeCoscos in it, if I'm correct. So, yeah, they, they've all... they've. I think he actually did the TV series, if I'm correct. The Crow, Stairway to Heaven or some shit. I don't know if that was a TV series or just a really low-budget rental flick. But, yeah, the shit's been done. It's like, it's like, why can't you just leave Brandon Lee alone? He did it. He died making that fucking movie. Why don't you just respect his memory and leave it the fuck alone? Because Hollywood likes to drag their sweaty nuts over classic movies. That, you, you, if you, if you, the one thing that, that Kung Lee did a great job of was, I said, if you could make a Bruce Lee movie, which one would you remake? What was his answer? <laughs> he said he would uh, leave it alone because he was classic. Thank you. The Crow is a classic. Right from soundtrack to the actors that were involved to the to the to the depth of the story, the man died making that movie, and it was fucking great. And you're just gonna go and you're gonna dig up his body and pee on it by fucking casting, you know, hangover the hangovers 
Bradley Cooper will be the crow. Ugh. Disgusting. I'm disgusted, but I figured I figured I'd share that with you. Thanks for fucking ruining my lunch. <laughs> there you go. All right, dude. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Hi, brother. Peace. Yeah, so I jumped around a little bit and kind of ruined Slick's night by telling him that Bradley Cooper was going to be the crow. And I can see the collective shit going on in the chat room. Uh, to quote Casper, are you fucking kidding me? Or are you shitting me? Yes. I am I am 100% on the ball with this one, Cass. I'm sorry. In some other news, Duncan Jones, the director of Moon and the Source Code, said that he would also direct Wolverine if he were asked. He has been one of the directors linked to the project, which I mentioned on last week's episode. He said, it's lovely for that rumor to be spreading. I've been so busy doing press for Source Code that I know that there's a lot of meetings and people I have to catch up with when I go back to Los Angeles. Under the right conditions, I would love to have the chance to do one of those big films. But I have a lot of projects on my own. That's my main goal is to make films that I write myself. In some other crazy casting news, Joe Pesci has signed on to play John Gotti's deputy, Angelo Ruggiero, in Gotti Three Generations. Get this, Lindsay Lohan is in talks to play Victoria Gotti. John Travolta, of course, will be playing John Gotti Sr., but the role of John Gotti Jr. has not been cast yet. The film is being described as an open-door insider's look at the famous family. The project has interviewed John Gotti Jr., Victoria Gotti, and family lawyer Charlie Sinelli and others who knew Gotti. Nick Cassavetes will be directing it, and Leo Rossi, who did analyze this, wrote the screenplay. And it's going to focus about the relationship of a father who lived and died by the mob code and a son who chose to leave that world behind and redeem himself. So... I don't know. I, I, I actually am intrigued to see how they pull this off. It does sound interesting. Not too sure about the Lindsay Lohan casting, but you know what? That bitch needs a job, and if she can do a decent role, fuck it. Let's see it. Last two bits of movie news to wrap things up. Uh, Latino Review is reporting that Michael Clark Duncan has officially joined the cast of Green Lantern. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan will be voicing the character of Kilowog, a member of the Green Lantern Corps. So you will be hearing the soothing voice of Michael Clark Duncan as Kilowog in the Green Lantern film this summer. In an interview with James McAvoy recently, they asked him about Wanted 2, and uh, he actually, <coughs> excuse me, he actually elaborated a little bit on the possibility of a sequel, and he gave a, a couple of tidbits I want to share with you guys. He was asked if Angelina Jolie is going to be involved. He said, I don't know what's happening. I know that the script came out a while back, which I don't think they were happy with in the end. I don't think Angelina Jolie was up for doing it. I mean, that is, the, that is kind of why she got herself killed in the first one. I think, I think that if you're going to go without the guaranteed box office draw of Angelina, then you need to have an amazing script and an amazing story. I think the studio is keen to make it, but we, and we really want to make it. But we want to make it if it's right and when it's right. When asked on why he did the first film, he said the reason I did the first film was because I thought it was a really good acting role. And no matter whether it made lots of money or ultimately was a good action movie, I knew I'd have a good time doing it as an actor. I would hope that would be the case in the second one. My worry was always that if we do a sequel, where is the character going to go? We hung our movie off this guy's life journey, 
And he's had that life journey now. So what what do you hang the next movie off of? Makes perfect sense. When asked about the future of the franchise, he says maybe they'll do it in the future with a whole new kid as a new lead character. And the premise of the wanted movies is how becoming an assassin changed my life. But it was a good time and a good movie. But in a way, I'm glad that not everything has to be a franchise. You know, I actually respect that from James McAvoy. I wouldn't mind a second wanted movie, but if it doesn't make sense, leave that shit alone. Last bit of news. According to Latino Review, he they gave up a couple of bits of information regarding Zack Snyder's Superman, including the following bit of news. You will be seeing Jor-El and his wife, Lara. Daniel Day-Lewis was looked at for the part of Jor-El and not for the part of a villain. I don't know if that's been finalized yet. Krypton will not resemble a crystal, a crystal planet like in the Richard Donner movies. Krypton will probably look like the Coruscant skyline from Star Wars. Also, in regards to a Kryptonian villainess that is going to be involved, it's not going to be Ursa. It's going to be Faura, F-A-O-R-A. In the movie Superman 1, in the movies Superman and Superman 2, the female Kryptonian, of course, was Ursa, who is based on the character of Faura. So well, there will be a secondary villain in the Superman Man of Steel film, Besides Zod, he'll be joined by a female counterpart, whether she is his wife, potential love interest, or henchwoman remains to be seen. All right. Got to get a couple of plugs out of the way, of course. Our guest, Kung Lee, you can check out his site, kunglee.com. It's C-U-N-G-L-E.com. You can also follow him at Twitter. It's twitter.com slash kunglee185, C-U-N-G. L-E, the number one, the number eight, the number five. All right, getting those plugs out of the way. Um, Bloodstain Lane, you can check out his videos on YouTube.com slash The Team Takeover. You can also follow him on Twitter at Bloodstain Lane. Got to give a shout-out to the crew from Future Endeavors who joined us for the WrestleMania panel a few weeks back. I will definitely be having those guys on again to talk wrestling and MMA as well. You can check them out at future-endeavors.com. And also one of their co-hosts, Fat Man After Dark, has his own show on Wednesdays on Blog Talk Radio. You can check that out, fatmanafterdark.com, for showtimes and information. Brendan Schaub MMA, of course, is the website for our past guests and UFC heavyweight fighter, Brendan Schaub. You can go to brendanschaubmma.com. Uh, Got to give a shout-out to Billy who is uh, no longer with Beantown Gamer, and you can check him out in his new project, Analog Hype. So it's analoghype.com, I believe. If I fuck that up, I will make sure to change it, but you can just follow him on Twitter at Quicksilver. Just look for him in my timeline. Uh, the crew from Dual Shockers and Gamer Fit Nation, of course, for supporting MTR. Michael Jai White's website is michaeljaiwhite.com. The crew from VGN, of course, Don Anderson, Kevin, Jedi Hillis, Don Anderson's show you can listen to Tuesdays on the Blog Talk Radio Network. I believe it is now on at 11 p.m. And VGN, you can get their show times and show information at VGN.com. Got to thank our content partners, as always, for supporting and working with us, MMAGospel.com, and this is Wrestling's Podcast with Verk. Definitely thank those guys for all their support. The Deadliest Warrior crew will be joining us in May. Until then, you can keep up with their sites. Uh gtd.com is a uh, Jeff D. Moline's site. He has a clothing line, which is GTD Clothing. Definitely check that out. Uh, Dr. Armand Dorian's vitamin water, drinkdocs.com. Check that out as well. 
Uh, Max Geiger, who is no longer with the Deadliest Warrior, you can check out his projects on GiantSparrow.com. Of course, of course, the ladies from Girl Gamer for always being supportive of MTR, GirlGamer.com, and also check out GamingAngels.com as well. Got to throw a shout-out to the MMA Gospel crew. Love those guys. MMA Gospel is live on Blog Talk Radio Wednesdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, I'm sure I left a couple of people off, but if you want to keep up with all the guests and all their sites and links, make sure to head over to MyTakeRadio.com and click the Links tab, and you'll be able to see all the links to all the guests that we have had on MTR. Let's try closing this out again, shall we? You have listened to My Take Radio episode 87 for Thursday, April 14th, 2011. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, send me an email at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also uh, send it to my fiance Andrea, who handles guest booking, or you can hit her up on Twitter at Andrea underscore MTR or Andrea at mytakeradio.com as well. Our Twitter links are twitter.com slash mytakeradio for the show, and my personal account is twitter.com slash akuma25, A-K-U-M-A, the number 25. MySpace, still alive, unfortunately, even though I'm waiting to hear one day that MySpace is dead. MySpace.com slash mytakeradio for the mytakeradio presence on MySpace. And, of course, our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash mytakeradio. That's going to wrap it up for this week, folks. Thank you guys for listening. I will catch you guys next week. I have no idea who the guest is going to be, but there's a couple of cool possibilities. So keep an eye out on the Facebook fan page or on Twitter for announcements in regards to that. At the end of the month, make sure you check it out for our MMA panel. We are going to be joined by a a couple of new faces to talk some MMA. That was a a fuck-up and a half to discuss the going on the stuff that's going on in MMA and also discuss UFC 129. I think that the two energy drinks I have are wearing off. So that's going to wrap it up. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for your support. We are almost at 850 fans on our fan page. So if you haven't become a fan yet, what the fuck are you waiting for? I'm out. Peace. Taking us out this week will be the Bare Knuckle Blitz from ocremix.org, and the artist is Will Rock. You can get that from the Heroes and Villains official soundtrack at ocremix.org. Thank you.